0: hello and welcome to the racing with robin roller podcast happy 4th of july to our listeners here in the united states and americans overseas i'm josh roller recording in charlotte usa and joining me as always is the one and only rob peters in indianapolis i have to say right now this was one heck of an enjoyable race weekend srx was at lucas oil raceway and yes we still call it Indianapolis Raceway Park here on this podcast. Uh, we probably will refer to it as IRP a few times. Uh, Rob was there covering the race for the Indy Star and, and even got to see two drivers have a conversation post-race. I can't wait to hear what he has to say about it and uh, you know his first-hand account. This is pretty cool uh, for this podcast. Uh, on Sunday, great battles took place at the Red Bull Ring where Max Verstappen continued his summer dominance. More battles at Middle Ohio, so it's just new garden. Breakthrough, the captain... Uh, for his first victory in the uh, open wheel in 2021, and also coming on the 50th anniversary of his first Indy car so that was very cool. Uh, and then NASCAR celebrated Independence Day at the historic at a historic American road course, Road America. You gotta say it like that. You gotta say it like Road America. I mean, it just it just comes naturally. I'm sorry, Road America. All right, I'm done with that. Uh, and NASCAR's road course king, he's the new road course king, Chase Elliott joined Tim Flock. As the only Cup Series winners at the four-mile circuit, all this and more. So let's go ahead and get started.
1: Rob, take it away with Rob's Racing Report. That's right, everybody. It's time for Rob's Racing Report. I'm going to give you all of the news that you probably already know about, but that's okay because we're going to talk about it too. We like having discussions on the show. We try and keep it up to date, but it's a little bit more like watching last week, tonight, but for racing. Except I'm not nearly as funny as John Oliver. Uh, Anyway, so starting off with Formula One here, Mercedes has made a driver decision on the future and will make another one within the next several weeks. So Lewis Hamilton, you hear about this? Yeah, how about this? The guy we didn't really expect to re-sign this soon has re-signed already. Lewis Hamilton has signed a two-year extension and will be with Mercedes in Formula One through 2023. So, you know, a ninth championship is possible. (laughs) Barring he doesn't, you know, assuming he doesn't win this year. He's still got two more chances. So yeah. I can get to a ninth championship. It's not impossible. We'll see. Um, so the team will make their decision to pair uh, whether or not to pair Hamilton with Valtteri Bottas or George Russell over the summer. Again, the summer break is coming up here with Formula One. Uh, usually that gets around going here within the next month or so. So probably about late, around August is when you probably around September is probably when yep. we're going to at least know. Uh, yeah. Who's going to be at Mercedes next year? Uh, and hey, George Russell, man, dude, the dude got into uh, Q3 over the weekend. And we're going to talk about that later, but you know he's really. It's he's if he could get a Williams into Q3, Botas is Bottas should be uh, should have a fire lit under his pants right about now.
0: If he he should have had one written, uh, lit under his pants a long time ago, but yeah, yes. but
1: as soon as George Russell got into Q3, if it wasn't if it wasn't you know. Uh, flaming hot by, by then it better be, um, uh, next piece of news here, Audi and Porsche joined an F1 engine manufacturers meeting to discuss the future regulations of power units that are set to be introduced in 2025. Interesting to note there. Not sure what'll come with that, come from that, but it's an interesting note, a little nugget there that we can include. I hope hope four more cars come out of it. That's what I'm hoping four more cars, two more teams. Okay. As long as they're competitive. Yeah. You know, or at the very least become competitive over the, over the years. Right. Uh, don't, I mean, don't go like Haas where you're competitive out of the gate and then decide to stop being competitive or be the opposite, which is manner, which is be slow as, as you know, a snail and then decide to get great at the very end of your life. And then suddenly poof, you are just gone and make me sad. Don't do that. Make me sad. Don't make me sad. Uh, moving on to IndyCar. Uh oh boy. My favorite. I love Tatiana Calderon. I pretty much have told you that on my I told everybody that on the show. I, I I don't know why. Don't I'm not simping, okay? I just think she's a good driver and she hasn't had great opportunities to really show that. You know, Formula 2, I don't think she was cut out for Formula 2, but I do think she's cut out for IndyCar, which is why this next piece of news makes me so happy. Formula 1 test driver with Alfa Romeo and FIA WEC sports car driver. See cuz she's good in sports cars too. Uh, she's good in sports cars too. Shoot. You're right, Josh. I did. I'm sorry. I got so excited to talk about this news. Hold that thought. I'm going to hold myself back. Cause we have some breaking news to talk about this. This broke literally like right before we were going to go live on this podcast. It's very Um, sad. And this has to do with formula one. So we have to go back. I have to go back. We can't move on to IndyCar yet. I'm sorry. I would edit this, but I don't feel like it. Um, Australia. Sorry. You guys don't get F1 or MotoGP races this year. Sorry. Uh, Formula One and MotoGP have just announced that uh, the Australian Grand Prix this year will be canceled. I have the motor, I forgot, because I had the motorsport.com article pulled up right here and I was reading the paper. I wasn't reading the article. So uh, I will read just straight from this um, story here by Andrew Van Lee Yuan. Lee- I-, I butchered that name. I apologize, sir. Uh, as expected, the Australian Grand Prix Corporation confirmed that neither event will go ahead in the final quarter of the year as planned. The F1 race had already been moved from March to mid November so that's not happening anymore the move follows failed talks with health officials at state and federal government level over how to bring personnel including riders and drivers through Australia's strict closed border the idea of a biosphere was floated at least for the Albert Park F1 race but failed um uh, uh yeah basically Australia does not Australia does Australia from my understanding Australia is a much different situation uh with COVID. This is my very basic understanding, but they're having difficulties agreeing to how to do a vaccine rollout, which is delaying a lot of things. Um, you know when you don't have a vaccine, even though you social distance and even though you wear masks and even though you've more or less eradicated it in the country, you still run that risk of reopening that whole can of worms by allowing for, um, by allowing for outside, uh, entries from other countries and tourists and foreigners and whatnot. So I understand it's unfortunate that this is the case, you know, obviously it's disappointing that, you know, Australia is having these difficulties and I, I'm sure it's all down to bureaucracy at this point or politics. It It always is. Um, but either way, that sucks, and that's disappointing for F1 and MotoGP fans down under. Um, not fair to them at all, because, you know, obviously they turn up every year. But maybe maybe next year. Um, and that'll be interesting to see what Formula One has to do, whether or not they decide to replace it, or if they just decide, tack with it and don't even try. Um, Coda. Two CODAs. I mean, we wasn't that already discussed?
0: Yeah, In wait, wait. Yeah, I think it went to Turkey though. I wonder if they knew this was coming though. I mean, this isn't um, well, something that is, this has come up in the last twenty-four hours. I think they knew this was in, 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 in coming. It was going to come to fruition in that. Okay, well, we got to replace two races now. Turkey, you
1: want back in? Sure. And the hand it should have happen anyway. As soon as Turkey got their stuff figured out or whatever. I yeah. mean, obviously, I'm not saying I agree at all with the Turkish government, but I will admit that they have one of the best racetracks in all of Europe. Yep. Say that. Yeah, we we we've yeah, we, we've made that clear. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, yeah, disappointing news out of Australia tonight. But that's that's what you deal with. You're still walking on eggshells with scheduling and trying to play in sports and uh when you're still in in a global pandemic. Really, we Especially we, we kind of still internet. are. We still are. Uh, I mean, there's not much we can do about it. We still are in some part. It's some parts of the world we're still in a global pandemic. I mean, here in the United States, obviously, with the vaccine rollout has been much better. has been much more effective, which, you know, goodness, thank goodness that this has happened, that we've been able to have such an effective vaccine rollout and that we've been able to pretty much eradicate most of the cases of COVID. We are not seeing cases spike as much anymore, if at all. Uh, you know, we have that luxury, but other countries don't have that luxury and they have to play it a little bit more safe than than we do right now. So. Um, just overall disappointing, but, um, I'm going to move on to that happy news now. Cause I'm not, I don't want to talk too much about that sad news. I want to move on to this happy news about Tatiana Calderon getting a test with AJ Floyd racing. Um, so this is supposed to happen on Tuesday. So you've probably, it's probably already happened by the time you're listening to this. Yeah. Um, but she is going to test with, uh, AJ Floyd in an IndyCar. car. So this is, I'm going to give my thoughts on this real quick because this is why I'm excited for this is because I've always said Tatiana Calderon is a good driver. You know, certain drivers aren't meant for certain places, and Tati is, it falls under that, under that category, where she's not cut out for F1, I should say. And not every driver is going to be cut out for F1. There's going to be a lot of other drivers that are just going to excel in other forms of racing, you know, and I think we've seen that be the case multiple times. I mean, just look at Grosjean in IndyCar right now. There was no doubt about his talent ever, but... He did. He didn't win in Formula One. He hadn't had a podium in several years. You know, I mean, people started to doubt. Well, now he comes back over to IndyCar, and people are like, "Oh, that's right. Grosjean is is still Grosjean. He's still the Grosjean he was." I mean, you can. It's not just Grosjean, but it, it's it's multiple other people. Marcus Ericsson. I mean, Marcus Ericsson. I'm going to talk about him later later on in the show. Um, but he got his first IndyCar win, and that was his first win since GP2. Imagine how many people were questioning the legitimate, le- legitimacy of Marcus Ericsson. You know, and, and now Ericsson is setting fifth in the championship. Again, we'll talk about this later. He's sitting fifth in the IndyCar championship. And people, you know, he's proving everybody who doubted him in F1 wrong. Um, and you know, so I, I, I look at this and I think this is good. This could be really big for the series because number one IndyCar has struggled to find a full-time female driver since Simona di Silvestro, uh, left full-time since Danica Patrick left full-time since Sarah Fisher retired. I mean, it's really honestly been quite a while since IndyCar has had that full-time female driver. It would be great if Tatiana Calderon would be in that converse- conversation again as being, potentially being a full-time IndyCar driver. I don't know what she'll do. Ovals great if she did i think she should given grosjean's uh sudden um you know a preference to them given jimmy johnson now saying i mean this was a nugget i don't think we're going to talk about here i don't think we have talked about it but jimmy johnson i think spoke with nbc sports either last week or a couple weeks ago saying yeah you know i'm i'm open to the 500 next year you know i'm open to running ovals next year i mean so from someone who's a decade ago said IndyCar shouldn't race on ovals to now saying, yeah, you know, I think, I think I can do it. I think I feel safe behind the wheel on an oval. I don't think Tatiana would have any different, any any different approach to that. Uh, And, and, you know, and that's the thing, you know, she's proven that she could do There's a lot, there's only so much certain drivers can do with terrible equipment, but I think Tatiana has proven that she can do, a lot with bad equipment now f2 i'm going to ignore f2 i'm going to focus on f3 and super formula uh, more so because that's where really her equipment was really bad and she did relatively well in those in, in in those i mean super formula is she's still not the best but uh you know that team is struggling but she has been on a an upswing at least she was before she before the last couple of races because she hasn't been able to race in super formula in the last couple of years i know i'm going on about this but my main point is this is good. This should be good for the series. This is a good thing that I think we should all be happy for because I think a lot of us who've watched F3, F2, F1 feeder series for a while, you know, we kind of feel like Tatiana is is pretty good, but hasn't really had the opportunities to show that yet, and she's getting the opportunities to show that now in WEC. And last year she was in ELMS, she was getting the opportunities to show that as well. So just just a good feeling. I hope the test goes well for her, and I hope to hopefully see her in an IndyCar. Uh, if not later this year, hopefully, you know, I hate to be this guy, but you know, you can't really be worse than Dalton Kellett right now. I really don't think he could be worse than Dalton Kellett. I hate to be that guy, but no matter who get if, if AJ Foyt looks at this and says, yeah, I'm going to put Tatiana in the car instead of Dalton Kellett. I really don't think she'd do any worse. I think it'd be really, she'd have to wreck to do worse than he's doing right now. And I'm sorry if Dalton Kellett listens to the show, I apologize, dude, but He's just not very fast. I mean, when you're getting beat by Jimmy Johnson, who is also just not very fast, I I, I don't know what to tell you, man. I just, I don't know. You got to look yourself in the mirror at some point. I mean, I I do it. I do it. I look myself in the mirror and tell myself, you would never make it as a race car driver. That's why you're sitting here talking about it. (laughs) I'm going to move on. Roger Penske spoke with Racer this weekend at Mid-Ohio, and Penske said the schedule will likely be between 16 to 18 rounds next year. Uh, And now he is looking at more ovals, and even name-dropped Iowa in the racer article. Now, he hinted that IndyCar is open also to a shared date with IMSA at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway's road course, uh, as rumors of an endurance race at uh, IMSA race at IMS road course continue. Again, this would be rad. This would be awesome. I've wanted this since uh, IMSA left the first time. If we, I mean... The doubleheader with NASCAR is already is cool. I don't really want to bring IMSA into that because I want IMSA to have its own
0: yeah. thing,
1: be its own thing. Because that was the main reason why they left the first time, I believe, was because they weren't really the priority on that the schedule sense. at IMS. It was more about the Brickyard and the Xfinity race. Do um, you have I, something I, to say, Josh? You, yeah, yeah. I, I was
0: just I was just going to try and get in here. I think it'd be cool. Um, I know the. I know it's cool to have the GP open the month of May um, for, you know, just for everyone m- sort of making that migration to Indianapolis for the 500. Uh, I, I don't, I don't like having two races on the, on the, on the road course there for IndyCar. I, I hope that that second date goes to a, to an oval next year, wherever that is. Um, but I would like to see IMSA definitely get like a 24-hour race there. I think that'd be so cool. Uh, and, and for IndyCar to kind of like have have them start like at noon on a Saturday, have IndyCar run their race, and then IMSA run their race starting at like 4 p.m. or something like that um, and run from Saturday to Sunday. I think that'd be really, really enjoyable. And I really hope... Wherever that slot's on the schedule, I feel like that would probably be... A July time frame, you know, if NASCAR continues to be in August, there. Uh, but, but either way, I, I, that's what I'm hoping out of this.
1: You know, and personally, I, you know, Orwell, is obviously good too. I, I personally, I don't hate the idea of the Harvest Grand Prix. I was a little bit con- concerned about it, but last year it kind of it kind of turned me around. I was like, you know, hey, it's kind of cool to have IndyCar racing down here in October.
0: But it hey, it's like it's in August. Schedule.
1: I, I if it let, let, let's say hypothetically, if they did do this, I would actually prefer that to happen in like September or early October because I feel like that would be a good time. You know, it, it'd be a lot cooler. And, you know, I'm not saying you'd have to have like a, a twenty four hour endurance race, but you could have a good six hour endurance race an IMSA race or something around there or like a 12 hour they're... thing or something. Make it like a... do you won't accept anything under 12. I don't think though. I don't think well, then do 12 hours early. is fine. Make it like a, a, a like its own version of Petite Le Mans, but not, mm. you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. You, you know, it, it, the it's, it's, it's 12 hours of Indianapolis. I think that could be, that would be neat. Yeah. Um, I know, we're just, Throwing ideas out, they are spitballing. Yeah, we're Pokemon spitballing. We're going to move on actually because I'm at 17 minutes. I want to talk about NASCAR here. Um, so moving on to NASCAR news here, NASCAR iRacing and other stakeholders have decided to discontinue the eNASCAR iRacing Pro Invitational Series on the grounds of waned interest. Yeah, you think I haven't watched this thing since COVID? Um, uh, being honest, there, the original ten race schedule only saw the first five um, all airing on FS1. So I, I think. Given that, it kind of makes me think NBC wanted nothing to do with this.
0: Well, I think it's a combination of NBC getting out of it, and it's all going to be on NBCSN. And yeah, I, NBCSN's yeah. not
1: going to exist after a while. What's the point? Yeah,
0: yeah I think it's, it's a question about that.
1: I I mean, look, like I said, I said I haven't watched this thing since COVID. As soon as Darlington and May rolled around, I was like, I, I don't care about the IE NASCAR anything. Like I know I have a lot lot of friends who do. I have a lot of friends who are very who are hardcore sim racers. I have a lot of great friends in the business. I even have friends who cover eNASCAR stuff. And I respect everything you do. I wish I could get into it like you guys do. You know, I love sim racing, but the fact of the matter is if I'm not in the sim race, it's really hard for me to care. And I don't have iRacing. I don't have a computer that can run iRacing right now. If I do, if I ever do get one, if I ever do have one, I'm sure I'll care a lot more about it. But right now it's just really hard for me to take time out of my day and and sit down and watch a Sim race. Yeah. Even if it's literally a bunch of people I know. Yeah. It's still hard. It, it, I don't know. I'm sorry. I feel tor- horrible saying that. I feel legitimately horrible saying that. Because I have a lot of very close friends. I forgot to wish my friend Josh Mertz a happy birthday. His birthday was on the 4th and I feel bad about that. I'm I if you listen to this podcast, I hope Josh you know that I didn't forget about you. I just had a very busy saturday sunday and I, di- I i didn't get a chance to wish you happy birthday um not you josh roller my, my i have another i have a lot of yeah. friends named josh um but that but that's more to my point it's just it's it's hard for me to to watch a lot of sim racing stuff it's not that i don't appreciate it. it's not that i don't appreciate what these guys do it's not that i don't appreciate the talent and skill that it takes it's just it's not really my cup of tea unless i'm involved in it and, you know, like I said, if I got racing and I was a hell of a lot more involved in it, yeah, I would probably be a little bit more disappointed about this. But to tell you the truth, it this doesn't really bother me as much as I think it might bother other people. I
0: That's don't know, fair.
1: Josh, if you have anything to say about that.
0: I, I watched three races. I watched the the Bristol Race, the Coda Race, and the Chicago Street Race. I didn't watch it live. I watched it I recorded it and watched it later. Um, but, yeah. It's 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 different. Um, I actually find watching the the uh, Coca Cola iRacing series a little more interesting. So I think it's just that okay, great. You know, I see James Davison and Rickway Racing winning in a in a simulation. You know, getting some good do for their sponsors or whoever. However many thousand people are watching this, but I find watching the the, the iRacing the Coca Cola Racing series a little more interesting. And I wonder if that's kind of what. They're seeing as well, even though the numbers aren't pulling, you know, the same amount of people and it's not getting aired live.
1: But it's I going think, to are right on that. Audiences. I think you're right on that, because I think for, from just from what I'm with, I've understood this is just be like, you know, I if I can go see James Davis and race on Sunday, if yeah. I want to see James Davis and race on Sunday, I'm going to go see him race on Sunday. I can't see my friends like Dylan Connolly or Justin Melillo or Josh Mertz or someone or Victor Valley. I can't see them. I just name dropped all you guys, all my friends. If I forgot someone, I'm sorry. I can't see them race on Sunday, but I could see them race on in, 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 in though in, in, I racing and in that simulation stuff. Yeah. I could see them race there. Um, I don't think Josh Mertz races anymore, but when he did, I could see him there. Um, but you know i i i look at that and i think i think that's where that that uh audience is that audience cares about their friends their audience whereas the audience that cared about all those race all those big name drivers has kind of been like okay well we can see him on sunday now we don't care yeah And i think that's really where you're going i mean, that's why you're probably you're probably right about coca-cola i racing series going up because people can see a lot more of those uh their friends, they're friends, those drivers, um, whereas, you know, they're not racing against the big-name guys on Sunday. I mean, I'm sure Landon Castle races with them, which is cool, yeah. but how many people care about Landon Castle? I mean, not I enough. do. I not do, enough. but not enough people. Yeah, uh, Landon Castle, great driver. He is a great driver. All right, moving on here. Um, Parker Price Miller, a Kokomo, Indiana native. Hey, that's where you're from, Josh. It is. Uh, well, I wonder why this here. Um, will make his Camping World Truck Series debut at Knoxville Raceway when he drives for Jordan Anderson Racing. Um, Next piece here. Dale Earnhardt Jr. told Sirius XM NASCAR that the only roadblock to entering the Cup Series is a charter. Then on his podcast, he addressed the rumor that Call League Racing paid $10 million per charter the team acquired, saying that $10 million is out of Junior's range. Now, this is important because this next piece of news was the big bomb of the day. Yes. Uh, is that Trackhouse Racing has announced that the team has purchased the NASCAR operations of Chip Ganassi Racing. The acquisition will take place at the end of the season, and Trackhouse will field two cars in 2022 using the charters that they are acquiring from Chip Ganassi. And Daniel Suarez will be one of their drivers. Denny Hamlin told NBC Sports that Trackhouse Racing acquisitions of Chip Ganassi Racing NASCAR operations does not expand uh, 2311's expansion plans for 2022. Now this is interesting, and I we it's great that you put that topic up there of junior, noting that the cost of a charter was up to a close to about ten million.
0: That's the rumor. That's the that's rumor, rumor that is floating around. That, that so yeah, if that's the rumor, paid
1: twenty million dollars for two charters. Right. So if that's the rumor right now, mm-hmm. this leads me to believe. So from what I've heard, I don't i i i've i've read a transcript so far from the yeah. recent door bumper clear podcast. I don't listen to it personally, but I usually hear the highlights and read the highlights that people post and stuff. Um, one of the highlights that I read was that um, the rumored price that Justin Marks came to Chip Ganassi with was thirty-five million dollars. I can believe that. I can believe that. So if we're taking that
0: more money too than just the operations.
1: If we're looking at that right now, mm-hmm. and saying that Trackhouse bought two charters and a heaping load of employees and, and, assets. and assets for thirty-five million dollars, and Chip couldn't refuse that, I'm I'm wondering how expensive NASCAR is right now.
0: How, 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 uh,
1: well, it's it's the, the, the value
0: of the charter. So, remember
1: this remember when, when BK so raised the Right, up. so you're talking about the value of the charter, and I'm going to let you continue. I want you to say your point, but I want to say this is that basically he didn't pay $35 million probably for the entirety of if, 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 if this, if the charters didn't exist, I yeah. do not think Marx would have had to pay $35 million to make it worth it. I think him paying $35 million was specifically due to the fact that Ganassi had two charters and those the prices of those in charters were shooting up, the value of those charters were shooting up so much that Justin Marks basically said, alright, here's all the money I was going to spend on a charter if I buy your team entirely I get two of those things and basically be able to run in the Cup Series with two cars not just one, and I double yeah. my assets it yeah. seems like this was a great business move by Justin Marks, but it makes me really wonder how much Ganassi was losing, or if not, if he was breaking even at all on his NASCAR program.
0: Well, very great point there. I think, well, the goal in the Xfinity Series and Truck Series is to break even. I don't know what the goal is in the Cup Series. It's just simply to win a championship at all costs, probably. But if you remember when, when, when BK Racing went belly up, I think... I think it was Front Row who bought that charter. It was for like two million and change. All right, and that was for a charter that really wasn't getting that much money because the value of a charter is based off of the your your rolling five year. I think it's five years. Your rolling five year owners points position. Well, those two Spire owners points positions weren't that much. All right, so if Colic bought those two charters for a total of you know twenty twenty million range. Ganassi's two charters are worth more than that because they finished higher in the owners' points. All right. Well, think about where Gibbs's charters are worth. So yeah, the charters, So what? This? What? We 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 bashed the charters, but it wasn't coming to fruition with what what they wanted to to do until now. All right. So it took them five years to finally get going what they wanted. So now you're looking at it. I would think if the Gibbs charters, okay. Oh, the Gibbs charters got to be worth if 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 those two spire charters are worth 10 million apiece, the Gibbs charters have to be worth at least what? 15 15 a piece, 18 a piece, something like that. So you're looking at this so you're looking at the Gibbs organization. Let's just make it an even 20. Let's just say they're worth double because they did finish higher. Let's say what, the, the the four charters at Gibbs are worth $80 million. All right, $80 million t- together, and you know one is one's going to be worth more than than the fourth one.
1: So basically what you're asking, saying here is in order to buy – in or, if you're going to buy the team outright, yeah. you're going to end up paying more for these two pieces of paper or however many pieces of paper yeah. the charters are on mm-hmm. than you are for the entirety the, of the team building, the building labor, the, yeah. capital, all of that. Oh, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah, I, I, I believe so. I would say, again, I'm not a money person. I have no idea. I don't want to offend Joe Gibbs Racing um, in any way. I'm just taking this at a guess because I don't know what all they have in, in, in there in, as far as assets go. But, I mean, you're looking at a, a hundred. their operation being worth, I have to say, at least $120 million between between everything. So, they're, so the four charters, all right, from their cup organization, from their f- cup side of the garage, is worth two-thirds of their operation. I think that is That is what the charter system was designed because there's a really great point and now I cannot remember who it was and I'm really bad. I'm going to totally sort of take their word here and not, not give them credit and I apologize to this person if they listen. But this gives the teams a way out, the owners a way out. Before, we just saw well, teams, yeah. kind of, I the mean- teams kind of fold up and, and leave. Now, now... Chip Ganassi wasn't looking to get out, but Mark, he, say, he said, Mark came to me with an offer I I couldn't not take a look at. I had to take a look at it. I had to address it. And that, to me, says, okay, well, if this one person walks up and says, I got $200 million, can I buy your team? Okay. Yeah. My team's worth $150 million. Go ahead. You want to end that bad because you think that you think that that's where the market's at is $200 million? I
1: mean that's – that's what I don't like though is because the whole thing about the charter system – and I I know we need to move on, but the whole thing about the charter system that bothered me was just what you said, was that it it gave owners basically a get-out-of-jail-free card if they ran their organization into the ground. You know, Ralph Hoffman ran his organization into the ground, and now what does he he, get out of it? He gets money – and gets to retire nicely instead of having to be responsible for his own financial misdealings. But did you think that, I can't remember his name now, and I feel like his
0: last name was Divine. The BK Ron Racing owner, Rob, yeah. Do you think he got his money back when he,
1: so? of course he got his, he was in, he was in debt. He was <laughs> in financial debt. No, of course yeah. not because. No he, one got the money. But, but Chip Ganassi Racing, did he? He had did, way he, more debts. He had way more debts than CGR and Rob Kaufman ever would. He had, right. And that's the thing. Kaufman basically did this because MWR failed. Right. If MWR yeah. doesn't fail, Kaufman doesn't come up with this decision I because he's not because the whole he's he's upset and gypped because MWR is failing. He's more mad about the money he's losing than the fact that Michael is Waltrip is losing his livelihood. Michael a bunch of people are losing their jobs, drivers are losing their jobs. You know, engineers, crew chiefs, all these people are losing their jobs. Kaufman just wants to get some money out of it because he thinks he's entitled to it for some reason. No, buddy, you sunk the money in there. If you lost the money because of your own misdealings, that's on you. you got to own responsibility for this. So he comes up with this idea. Oh, how about this idea? Because in case I ever screw up again and run my team into the ground again, then this is how I'm going to get out of jail free because everybody's going to give me money for my charter. That's again, what bothers me.
0: Yeah, I I and that's a fair thing and I think you're I think you have a point, but also the market has to be there, you know, and, and the market eighteen months ago was not there. Now the market is there. And and Chip Ganassi, I don't think he was looking to sell in February. But when Mark says, Hey, here's I wanna be in this this bad, here's the number. You know, I think that I if if you if you uh if you own a business and and you're not really looking to sell, but someone offers you a ridiculous amount of money for it, and you feel comfortable selling it and putting the people, your employees, in their hands. You're going to consider that offer, and I think that's what what is finally coming to fruition with this new renewed interest in motorsports, and then specifically NASCAR here. That these charters are finally doing what the franchise equivalent in other major sports are that if you want to be an owner in the nfl you have to pay whatever the market is for that for at least that team in combination of the interest in the sport you know and i and that's going to be at least 900 million dollars my guess is all right just because of you know that's the 900 that's the 900 pound gorilla in the sports world all right rob unless you have anything to add i think we need to go ahead and move on to the feature you're ready to move on let's move on here Uh, because speaking of Chip Ganassi racing, because Chip Ganassi is exiting the sport, we have decided to do favorite Chip Ganassi NASCAR paint scheme, uh, for this week's featured paint scheme. So Rob, why don't you go ahead and tell everyone uh, what paint scheme you selected?
1: Yeah. So, uh, this one is a really tough one because there was a lot that I had to pick from and there was a lot that I really like. Personally, yeah. and and so this one is going to be a little bit different because most people would think, oh, you would pick a car of yesterday, right? Of course you would. You would pick a car that ran between 2001 and 2007, right? Naturally, right? Anybody would, or at the very least, you know, a nationwide car from uh from that time period up until 2010, right? You know, you would pick the nah, no, 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 no. I am actually going with a very, very different one, and one that I've actually liked for a long time, and honestly preferred over every other paint scheme that was sponsored by this company. Uh, so I'm going to pick Dario Franchitti. Yeah. By the way, how, Hey, you remember when Franchitti was in NASCAR? Yeah. Cause, uh, I, I, Franchitti does, he talked about it in the SRX race. And I thought that was yeah. kind of interesting. I felt cool. like that Loving. was the first time he's mentioned it since he did it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, Dario Franchitti ran, uh, this car at California in February in 2008, the same race that got postponed from one day to another casey Mears flipped in it and it was all crazy or whatever yeah, um very crazy race and uh it was sam hornish that went underneath him that's right mm-hmm. I, I i almost said it was dario and i was like no no it was another open wheel guy who didn't need to be in nascar at the time who was wasting their prime in nascar <laughs> they could have. Hor- i swear hornish wasted his prime in nascar he could he could have gone on one more 500s he could have won on more indycar championships but he wasted his prime in NASCAR, and that's that's his prerogative. That's I I, I argue that Danica did the same thing. Totally yeah. could have won more races in IndyCar. Totally could have, you know, had more success there. Wasted their career at NASCAR, whatever. You know, it is what it is. At least Dario had the sense to come back. At yeah. least Juan Montoya had the sense to come back. Yeah, yeah. We couldn't get Tony Stewart back in one. We got him to do a couple of doubles, and again, he showed what he could do. Should have probably come back, but whatever. I digress. Um, but so this was a one-off because da- 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 Dario struggled to find sponsorship this season. And that wasn't, that wasn't really, that was like kind of the, the flavor of the month back in '08. you had the, uh, the recession, you had the housing yeah. crisis and all that stuff. Once that yeah. hit, I remember once my dad lost his job and all the other NASCAR teams started merging, I was like, shoot, man, are we in the great depression again? I don't know. I was too young. I was too young. I was 12. Um, but my point is. Uh, this this car it was a Target sponsored car. So Dario had Target on the car, and Reed Sorenson ran tar- the Target sponsored car primarily during this year. God, can you remember that Reed Sorenson racing for Chip Ganassi? How did yeah. this happen? How did that happen? Uh, seriously, that's right. He won that race at Nashville on the Bush Series, and everybody thought he was the next big thing. Um, anyway. Uh, yeah, so it was a complete inverse of Reed Sorensen's target paint scheme. Sorensen ran an all-red scheme, whereas Franky had an all-white scheme. And the all-white with the red accent stripes along it, much like Sorensen had the red car with the white accent stripes. So you can see where we're going with this. But Dar, see, this is the thing. White target cars just look better. And I have said this for a long time. I will continuously say this. White target cars just look better. Um, I preferred... Target cars that were white. Even Reed Sorensen, I think, ran uh, a white Target car in 2006 that I even considered. Uh, I loved that car, but I don't like Reed Sorensen, so I didn't want to pick that. Um, So, But I picked Dario's. And and I like this car. I really think this was one of the better-looking car of tomorrows, uh, especially of that time period. I think there were some really good car of tomorrow paint schemes, but this one was one of the best that stood out. And it was just a one-off. I mean Franchiti bounced around with multiple different sponsors almost every week and this was the one that I feel like they should have just kept this one was the best looking at the very least um it, but you know again Dario had a not that great he finished 32nd in that race um which was only his second career cup race at the times which was fun too but yeah. uh yeah that's my pe- featured paint scheme for uh the 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 week is uh Dario Franchiti's 2008 Target Dodge Charger the uh number 40 as well uh is is what I'm picking. Josh, how about yours?
0: Well, as you there there's a lot of them I could have picked. Um but but when you use the keywords Chip Ganassi Racing and NASCAR, the manufacturer Dodge comes to mind, specifically the Charger from 05. And 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 this was such a hard decision. But I'm going with Sterling Marlin's 05 Coolers Light Dodge. Because Coolers Light I just associate that with Chip Ganassi Racing, too. You know, so, Chip Ganassi Racing, NASCAR, I mean, you think of early 2000s, you think of Dodge and Cooler's Light, that just, boom, pops into mind. And, um, you know, this car was basically just silver, and the only other design to this car were the mountains along the bottom of, of, of the car, uh, on the sides, and the rear quarter panel, um... This was a rough year, though, for Marlon. Uh, his best years were behind him. His lone top five was Texas in April, and he gathered only four more top tens other than that. Three of them actually came in the first seven races. And, um, you know, the the season was going so poorly by late summer that Scott Pruitt replaced him at Watkins Glen, where he did finish fourth because of owner's points. You know, you weren't if you weren't high enough in owner's points, you weren't guaranteed a spot in the next race, you know, so... This way it is like right now in the Xfinity series, you know, if you if you have qualifying and you're not in the top forty in owners points, you're not going to be in the next race when we have metric qualifying. Um, Pruitt did drive the Coolers Light Dodge that day at at um, at Watkins Glen, but I chose this car again. That O five Charger is just the most beautiful Dodge that ever stepped foot, figuratively. On a NASCAR racetrack. Uh, I don't care whether it was Cup or Xfinity or, or uh, Bush or Nationwide as it was then.
1: It was just the most beautiful car there was. I have and- a few few problems with that, but I'm not going to state them here because I respect your opinion. <laughs> as a Casey Kane fan and a Dodge fan, I have a few issues with that. First of all, I want to say that I actually I like David Stremme's 06 car a little bit more. I like the black on the side door of the car. I liked that, and I'm sorry. I liked yep. that. This one is good, too. Yeah. But I am I respect your opinion. You, you, you could continue. I just wanted to let you know that the Casey Kane Dodge fanboy in me remembers those beautiful green and black Mountain Dew char- chargers. And I just, I have, and, and the Mopar, the Mopar charger. Oh, oh, wait, hold on. Oh, the Dodge Summer Sales Drive, the little, like, the orange and red where it was kind of like metallic oh yeah those that mayfield and kane sorry i'm going on excuse me oh the inverse pit cap that kane drove it with the racing stripes at indianapolis in oh five that comes to mind Hold back a today folks <laughs> Sorry, sorry i'm i'm thinking of all the cars that i would put ahead of marlin's oh five car i know I, I respect I, your I, opinion i respect I your know. opinion. No.
0: I, I chose it Because Marlin was an original Ganassi driver in 01, you know. I really, really, really wanted to pick Jason Leffler's 01 singular car. Why didn't you? I almost did. Because I I, I just, Marlin and Cooler's Light spoke more heavy to me. And, you know, that was a five-year relationship.
1: I almost picked Marlin's. He ran a race with Target sponsorship in 01. I almost picked that one. He did, and and I, because I respect your opinion, you're going
0: to disagree with me because you've already stated that they look better. I like the red target cars. I like oh, the red target cars. God. So I mean, we 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 hey, we we didn't expect us to agree to disagree on this
1: segment, did you? We usually are we'll like, we'll agree. I'm sure we'll agree. Agree. This is. This is the fun part: is we disagree so much on the featured paint scheme. Watch yeah. us just agree on the upshift and downshift all the way. We, we disagree might, yeah. hard on paint schemes, but we'll agree on the direction of motorsport. <laughs> yeah, and usually it's the other way around. And usually it's the other way around. So hey, because
0: we are we just, we just eclipsed the forty-one minute mark here. Um, you know, yeah, that's my pick. Is just more. Of this was more sentimental back to 01, but I like the, the 05 Dodge Charger. You're right, David Jeremy's car does look good. There were a lot of good nationwide cars. They had a couple good. Uh, Dodges and the COT primarily didn't choose it because COT was, <coughs> oh my gosh, terrible. So, let's move on here. The first race we're going to talk about today, Rob, you were there, SRX, at Indianapolis Raceway Park, I'm sorry, the Oval at Lucas Oil Raceway. Uh, Rob, tell us about your experience, and I hate to tell you to keep it short, but let's, let's not,
1: let's not... This well I, I things, don't want to let our you know, I want this you to almost know. be like a big exclusive for our listeners. Yeah, it is. You know, this so is one us. of our because you know, we don't really usually like interview a bunch of people on here. So yeah. like we need to have like an exclusive moment. This and is this can be like the exclusive Rob describes SRX at Lucas Oil Raceway. Because I was it? the only person there from the Indie Star that I understood. I think that we sent somebody else. I didn't see him. I saw him once and then I thought he was a photographer. No, he wasn't, because they used my pictures in the paper. I don't know what he was doing there, um, but uh, I didn't see anybody else in the press conference in the, in the media center. There was only one o- older gentleman who was the only other person there, um, and then everybody else I think was down on pit road. So I spent some time on down on pit road. This was probably. TV? Well, yes, I was on TV. You were on TV. I, you, you can, if you watch the very end of the broadcast, you can see me. Uh, poke my head behind the board and get on behind Ernie Francis Jr. when he's being interviewed after the win. And then you can also see me capturing uh, Castroneves and Scott Speed uh, having a confrontation, which I'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, but anyway, so it was, it was a beautiful night. Absolutely beautiful experience. I couldn't have asked for a better, uh, better opportunity than that night. I think I'm so thankful to uh, Nat Newell for the opportunity to do that, uh, cover that. But I think, the most interesting thing I I, I noted about it. And then Josh, we talked about this in the um, before the show is, you know, it, it SRX driver availability is not like most racing series. You know, it's, it's a little bit more difficult and probably because these drivers are doing other things uh, in their lives. They don't really have the time to sit down and do an SRX interview. You know, I was fortunate that I was able to sit in on a zoom press conference on Wednesday But, you know, I didn't really have a great opportunity to talk to a lot of drivers after the fact, um, after the race, before the race, just really Wednesday was the only time I got a chance to talk to anybody. And the only people I could talk to were Bobby Labonte, Elio Castroneves, and Bobby Santos III, which is fine. It's a fine selection of drivers, you know, differing opinions on different questions, which was great. But you know, I would have liked to have talked to Ernie Francis Jr. I would have liked to have talked to Tony Cannon. I would have liked to talk to Willie T. Ribs. You know, I would have liked to have conversations with these people. But you know, a- anyway. Um, so, like I said, I, it's just me in the media center. Which, by the way, they don't turn any lights on up there. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but they don't turn any. There were there were very dim lights. They were like, I think I have. If I had to, if I had to guess, I think there was like four dim lights on in that media center. And if Mike. Work computer didn't have backlit keys, I would have been probably sol writing that. Uh, because I couldn't see anything but my uh key, but my screen, I really could, I couldn't see my keyboard very well. It was very dark in there. Um, once the TVs got turned off after the race, when I was writing the story, uh, it was even more dark, it felt because I think the TVs were most of the light <laughs> that was in there. Um, they were thinking a portable
0: lamp with you to 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 write a story, right. But Rob, you are making the example of something to tell. You're you, the next time. You, I, you, if you ever, if anyone ever calls you, hey, you want to be a guest lecturer here? Hey, a central portable lamp.
1: Bring, yeah. bring a source of light. Bring a source yeah. of light if you go cover a race at Lucas Oil Raceway anytime soon yeah. or at IRP. But anyway, so it was great, great opportunity though. So I went down before the race, um, and uh, it went. To, I should say I went down to the pit road before the race. Got to see a lot of the pre-race ceremonies. Uh, Paul Tracy actually got delivered. I don't know if you saw this or caught this, but Paul this. Tracy yeah. did his driver intros from the back of a police car in handcuffs. Genius. I mean, this dude. I mean, he is playing the heel perfectly. To use a wrestling term, he is playing the heel perfectly. Uh, absolutely yeah. perfectly. Yeah, and yeah. He is literally the heel of SRX. Everybody hates him. Everybody has a has a feud with him going. You know, everybody wants to beat him. Everybody wants to crash him. I mean, it, it feels like I'm watching a wrestling show. You know, yeah. I'm sorry. Like he's he's the heel that everybody's going after. He doesn't have any championship belts, but <laughs> you know that that's. I shouldn't say. I should say the 03 kart championship is not worth a whole lot. <laughs> Call me when you uh, have the O four through O seven ones, which actually had Justin Wilson, AJ Holmendinger, um, you know, Gr- Sebastian, Sebastian Bourdais, drivers that were you know good and. Worthy of that title, <laughs> um, not just against uh, a fresh rookie Sebastian Bourdais and a bunch of European re- uh, F1 rejects because that was pretty much the rest of the cart field in 03. And as no, I'm, I know Paul Tracy doesn't like to talk about it, but dude, that did, did you see who Dale Coyne was fielding that year? Come on, um, my point is back to the point, uh, that was fun to see though, it was fun to see Paul Tracy kind of just take that and the crowd, the crowd got into it. speaking of the crowd, I wrote two stories. Uh, I wrote three stories in total, but I wrote two stories uh, from the SRX uh, experience. And the second one that I wrote was primarily about how big of a crowd there was. Uh, that was a huge crowd. Uh, and I had heard, and the reason why I wrote that story that's on IndyStar.com right now, you can read it. Um, the reason why I wrote that wrote that story was because I actually had that one lone gentleman that was in the media center with me. Say point blank, he said this was the biggest crowd he'd seen at I at IRP since NASCAR left. And now SRX doesn't reveal like attendance numbers, and I haven't heard anything, so I didn't really know what to say. I just kind of took that, dudes. And I and obviously visually, you can tell it was probably the biggest crowd that they, yeah. they had since NASCAR.
0: I, left. I mean, I, I, I will agree. I will agree with that. I'll second that.
1: And that's why I wrote the story because visually, that's what it was all about. And so I decided to go with that angle and basically talk about how, you know, if NASCAR wanted to come back, they could to IRP. Um, Not saying they will. I didn't want to say they will because I don't know if they will. I don't even know if it's on the table. I don't think it's on the table. I'm sure NASCAR has some problem with it. I'm sure IMS has some problem with it that's preventing it. I'm sure LOR needs to be upgraded in order for it to even be talked about. But even then, even if it gets talked about, who knows? Who knows if it's even going to happen? Who knows if Roger Penske is going to allow it? Who knows if Doug Bowles is going to allow it? You know, I don't know.
0: It's not. It's not up to them. It's ultimately up to NASCAR unless there's unless there's something in the contract between the with the track and the sanctioning body of NASCAR that says. Uh, not to interrupt you, Rob, but no, you're fine. That says NASCAR can only go to Indianapolis Motor Speedway or events hosted by Indianapolis Motor Speedway in Indianapolis. They have no like control. They,
1: like they had, they have a, a region clause, like Texas yeah. had for so long.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, but I also can't see that being the case in NASCAR. But, but you know, I, I don't know. I, I think that would be a, a, a poor move. I think that would be a poor move because I think you could have a really great racing lineup in the Indianapolis area when NASCAR comes to town. I mean, I would, I would, if I if I wasn't covering a race, I would love to go to a, a truck race at the IRP go to some races on the road course at Indianapolis and then go watch the cup race on the oval loved and then see the BC 39 on the dirt track. Yeah. That'd be a great lineup of races.
1: We're not going to see a brickyard on the oval ever again. Probably. I think Penske has made this crystal clear that he's got ideas and he's going to do them regardless of whether or not people think like them. You know, Penske's done a lot of good things for the track. Don't get me wrong. But he's also done some things that have really, really grinded my gears, like killing the Freedom 100 and putting the Brickyard on, on the road course. Those two things primarily have grinded my gears more than anything the Speedway's ever done. You know, usually I look at the Speedway and I think, you know, they can't really do that much, do that wrong. I was mad when the Nationwide Series, Xfinity Series, whatever, left IRP the first time. But I got over it because I didn't mind it. I thought the racing was pretty good. You know, I'd been to the races. I liked the value that it, it offered. I like the value that the ticket offered. You got to see practice of qualifying for the cup race and then an Xfinity race for 25 bucks. I appreciated that value. That was nice. But, you know, it loses the luster when it's all on the road course because who cares about the road course? Nobody. Nobody cares about winning. Unless you're in – I said it on this show before, and I'll say it multiple times. Unless you're in an F1 car or a sports car, winning on the road course at IMS matters to absolutely nothing. It doesn't matter at all. It's nothing. It's worthless. It's a worthless victory. Yeah, you won an IMS, but who cares? So was amateur drivers in SVRA. So is Marco Andretti in an Indy Lights car. You know, who cares? Who cares? Honestly, tell me who cares. Nobody. Um, so that's my thing. But back to SRX. Back to SRX. Uh, it was a great race overall. I enjoyed every single lap of that thing. Uh, there was lots of slide jobs. I don't know if TV was showing it. But because I watched the broadcast after the, I got home from the race and I, it looked like TV was showing a lot of the action, but it wasn't showing a lot. There was this one that I remember, Bobby Santos third. he's racing Tony Kanaan. He's racing Tony Cannon hard tooth and nail, right? And and they're going at it for like lap after lap after lap. Well, Santos third, like, makes this lap, like, tries to go in and slide job Tony Kanaan. And he goes in there and he drifts practically through turns one turn one he's practically drifting through turn one and he gets Kanon, but then he drifts just a little too high and he when he cleared Kanon, Kanon was able to do the over-under on him and kanan got back on bobby santos that was incredible i don't know if tv sh- uh I caught that remember. i feel like i'm remembering something but i can't remember if it was that
0: exact thing uh but- a slide job now but either way that's a great it's a great move
1: it was a beautiful slide job. I mean, Santos the third. I mean, man, if he had just been able to keep his foot in it, just, uh, just get his foot back in the gas just a little bit quicker, I think he would have had the position. But Kanan was able to get the nose back under him and take the uh, momentum away and just get by him on the backstretch. But, man, it was it, it was just so fun and refreshing to watch a race like that. You know, watch cars, you know, comers and goers, see comers and goers like that. Ernie Francis was the ultimate comer the whole race. I mean, it, it was amazing. I mean, well, Paul Tracy and Willie T. Ribs dropped like rocks as soon as they started from the first row on their heat races. And by the way, I, I you have a mention here of, of fan cautions. I call them caution clocks, but we should really just call them uh, saving Willie T. Ribs from going a lap down cautions because that's really what they are. Um, I've noticed, I noticed on multiple occasions that those cautions were thrown specifically when Willie T. Ribs became at least a half a lap down. Like, as soon as he crossed the finish line and the leader would be on the backstretch, as soon as there got to be a delta threshold where the leader was too close to Willie T. Ribs, they'd throw the, the caution flag. And it's it was, like, it was like that every time. Like, you were trying to pick out a rhyme and reason. It wasn't like a number of laps. It didn't seem yeah. like the number of laps. It literally seemed like they were throwing a caution to save Willie T. Ribs from going a lap down. Yeah. And, and And I apologize, but, you know, this is the same guy who said, who balked at the idea of, doing simulator practice in favor of, you know, I guess doing uh, virtual sex is is the best way I could say it. Um, This is, you, you shouldn't really expect much more. You shouldn't really expect much more. The guy could do a lot more to prepare, and he's not. I'm sorry. I mean, him and Bill Elliott are race fun for last position for, like, the first couple of laps until Elliott drives away from him. Yeah, <laughs> that's usually yeah. what happens. And then Bill Elliott has another problem. He did have another problem, by the way. He yeah, came in I did. And it had, and I saw it because I saw I was watching all the cars go by, and I suddenly I see Willie T Ribs blow by Bill Elliott, and I said, "That's the first pass Willie T Ribs has made all day. Something has to be wrong on Elliott's car." Um, or Willie T
0: Ribs. That's a guy I was wishing he he more than anything. We just have one good rowing here at Slinger or at uh, or at Nashville Fairgrounds. You know, I
1: can't. I I, and you can't really look at him and say, you know, there's, there's all. I mean, he's not the oldest. He or he might be the oldest, but not by much. uh, Guy out there,
0: he's not. I think
1: Bill Elliott might be older than him.
0: (laughs) I'm pretty sure Bill Elliott's older than him. I'm pretty sure because Willie T. Rose was pretty young when he was running in Trans Am in the mid 80s. Yeah, he was. So I'm pretty sure
1: he was in his early 20s when he ran Indianapolis too
0: yeah I say he's uh yeah Bill Elliott's by far the oldest guy in this field right now um
1: yeah by but far my I want to continue my story here because I want to yeah, try and right. get through this as fast as I can so and I'm also as I'm talking I'm going through the main points that we're we're talking here um ernie Francis and Scott speed ran side by side for two consecutive laps great battle oh. two consecutive laps i I was losing my mind i'm sit, i'm like i I felt like I could because I'm the only one in uh, in the whole media center, basically, because the other guy had stepped out. I don't know what he was doing. I think he went to the bathroom or whatever, but he wasn't in there. Uh, there was no PR person up there. I was basically the only one up there for at least a solid chunk of the feature. Um, so that was fun. But anyway, uh, so I'm sitting here just thinking, like losing my mind, not actually, too. but in my head, I'm losing my mind. Yeah. At just how incredible this racing is. Uh, and then you have the the late race cautions here. So here's mm-hmm. the thing. Here's, here's my here, – I'm going to start to tell the Elio and Scott Speed story. So the accident when Tony Cannon gets spun, I actually didn't know that Castroneva spun Scott Speed. Because, again, I don't I, – so in, in, in here, we have a TV, but we don't have the TV audio. We have PA audio. So the track PA audio does, for whatever reason, does not mention the fact that Castroneva spun out Scott Speed. Yeah. I have no idea that this happened, right? I have absolutely no idea that this happened. I I don't even see the side of Speed's car until he comes in. I have pictures of it, though. Until he comes into the pits after the race. I didn't even know that Elio had ripped the trunk off of it. I didn't even know that Elio's car was damaged until I saw him pull into pit road. Yeah. So this is my preference. I prefer this is important to know for later. So I have no idea of this. All I know is that Tony Canon spun, and now we're going to have basically a green-white checker. So I start to realize, I'm like, okay, so the only way I'm going to get an interview with anybody is probably if I go down a pit road right now because I don't think they're going to bring anybody up to the media center because if it's just me and this other guy, it's not worth anybody's time. So I'm going to go down there, and I'm going to see what I can, what I can get you know, what kind of videos, what kind of interviews, if any, I can get. If just get content, whatever. I'm just gonna try, or at the very least, you know, get some experience so that I can write about my experience later, which I, I, I used, I ended up doing. So I go down there and I watch the the last restart from the pit road, which is cool. Um, and then I I start uh everybody's coming into the pit road and I pull up my camera, right? Uh, I pull up my phone and I'm just gonna start taking pictures of the cars because this is closest I can get into the cars. And all of a sudden, people start hopping the fence like it's no big deal, like it's not a hot pit or anything. NVD, just go hopping across the fence, just like random people. Because keep in mind, this is the other thing that really kind of confused me is I was told I would get a media credential. I don't think they actually had any. All I got was a wristband that said I could go into the pit road. That was all I got. I signed a waiver and I got a wristband. I was like, I don't have any like hard card or anything. Whatever. So there was no way for me to know who was there as family members, who was there as a fan, who was there as media, who was there as a photographer. I had no idea. No idea. So I'm just like, all right, screw it. Forget it. I'm just going to go down. If, if there's no way to differentiate me from anybody else, then I'm just going to do my job and be way more confident than I normally am on a regular basis. Because uh, I'm not if, – if you know me in person, I am the most shy human being on the on the planet. I am very, very shy. I'm usually outgoing to people I know, but to people I don't know, I'm very, very shy. Even people I grew up watching on TV, I'm still shy. Like I'm still like a little bit hesitant to go up and ask somebody for an interview. So anyway, I'm sitting here, and I pull out my phone, and I'm taking pictures of all the cars. I'm taking pictures of like Michael Waltrip's getting out of his car. Paul Tracy's getting out of his car. Um, Tony Stewart's getting out of his car. So I mainly take it to pictures of Tony Stewart. Cause I, that was kind of a big deal. I, you know, Nat, my editor, told me, you know, you you should try and focus on Canaan, Castro Neves, Stewart, people like that. So I'm like, I'm okay. I'm going to get a bunch of pictures of Tony, and, and if I could talk to him, great. You know, well, all of a sudden, I, I, so I'm, and then I start recording. I switch from taking pictures to just recording video horizontally, and as I'm recording this, and I don't even notice that I, ha- I I've totally forgot that I had this until like I went and looked back at these pictures, like. Uh, Later that night I totally forgot I even had this Um, Because it was I just got all caught up in the moment Uh, Oh yeah I know I know (laughs) You told me one hour I know Castro like walks right by In front of my shot Right? Yeah And I didn't It didn't register with me for a while And I started following him with my camera And at that point I started realizing Oh he's mad He's mad mad He's mad at somebody And keep in mind I had no idea that him and Speed had tangled. I still didn't know. Like, I knew that they had gotten together earlier, but I didn't know that Elio spun him out under caution. I didn't know that. So, I just see Elio walking by, and I just think, okay, he's mad. He's mad about something. I I should just go follow him. Yeah. So, I pull my phone back into camera mode. Keep in mind, I'm trying to keep recorded it at, at 4K, 60 frames per, per second. Uh, Twitter butchered the quality, so it looks like a potato recorded it and i'm sorry uh i apologize for that i wish i could upload the a much better quality pick version of it on on twitter but i can't um and so elliot walks by and i just start recording and my dumbass doesn't think to put it out of vertical mode i'm recording in vertical mode for some reason um and i'm, I'm recording this and i'm just like this is incredible you know, and I, I'm trying to get closer because at this point, I, I'm still not sure if I could just cross the pit wall. Like, I know there's a bunch of people that are, but you know, I, it's still kind of like an active racetrack to me. I don't really want to take that risk and get in trouble. So I'm gonna, just going to stay behind the pit wall for right now. And that's when this guy gets in front of me and I have to start moving the camera around to try and hear what's going on, to see what's going on. But anyway, so I get that. And then it takes forever to upload. And then when it finally uploads, it starts going viral. And I realize later, that TV didn't pick up, like, any of it. Like, TV didn't pick up any audio. I had the audio. Yeah. So I'm the only one, to my knowledge at least, that has audio of this, or at least some audio, of this fight, of this confrontation. Not really a fight. Confrontation, I say.
0: It was a conversation confrontation.
1: Conversation. So I'm the only one, basically, who's putting out audio of this, which is insane to me. Like, this has never happened before in my life. And I'm still waking up. I'm still looking at this today. I pull up tweet deck and I I swear. Oh God. Yeah. David land liked it. That's how I know I've made it. Right. Uh, the guy that I do nothing but insult on a regular basis, not just in my own private life, uh, liked my tweet. So I bet you, I I doubt he's listening to this, but if he is, sorry, David land, I got, I got a bone to pick with you. We can talk about it later. Um, but yeah, so a lot of people, Oh Matt, I woke up on Sunday morning to find out Matt Yocum quote tweeted it. Um, I found that out. Uh, that was kind of cool. Um, I'm trying to go through and trying, trying to find more, more or less famous people who have at least liked it or retweeted it. Um, cause I know that, cause I know I texted my, I texted my editor, I te- texted Nat and I was like, we need to get the the sport, the star sports, um, Twitter account to retweet this immediately because this is, this is, this should go viral. And this is the only viral tweet I've ever had in my life. Um, for for to be completely honest with you, I gained only three followers out of it, which sucks. I really expected more. Um, and I think I'm, I, as I'm going through this, I'm I'm pretty sure Matt Yoakum was the most famous person to re- retweet that. At least I know a lot of other people who, who retweeted it who have large followings, but I think Matt Yoakum was the most most well known um person but yeah it's always interesting there's 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 under the tweet there's people getting fights over petty stuff i love reading right. the quote tweets from uh um i love reading the quote tweets from brazilians there, there here it is this uh, a brazilian fan quote tweeted it with a giant like text based middle finger towards god speed <laughs> I just I love that. One. That got me. That got me. I love the fan reaction to it. It's like it's I not even. It. It's not even that big of a deal. Like it's it's really not something that needs that warrants that kind of reaction. Yeah, but I, I love do. it anyway. I love yeah. the passion of fans. Uh, um, racing
0: fans, we're all special breed.
1: Okay, Mark James liked it, but he follows me on Twitter, so I don't feel like that's as special as normal. I feel like he would have liked that. No matter what, cause, just because he follows me, um yeah, I think that's it, I think that's it, um, but anyway, yeah, so I had a great time at s r x we had a great oppor- we had a great opportunity to to cover it um, I'm so happy to be able to talk about it, and that's really um, yeah, you said down here, Bestwick said there would be fireworks, yeah, well,
0: yeah, guys water.
1: all over Brownsburg were lighting up fireworks, so there were literally fireworks on uh on track and in the air, and the actually what was really wild. Was um, in the press con- press box where I was, I could actually see the cars go down the backstretch, and I could see off in the distance the fireworks going off, and you'd see people in the crowds like pointing at the fireworks, and I get so confused because cro- anytime you're at a race and the crowd yeah. starts pointing somewhere, you think there's an accident, right? No, right, the crowd's right. pointing up at the fireworks. Up yeah. in the sky, and I'm sitting here thinking, "Oh, just, oh man, did someone wreck, and I miss it, or did someone like put another slide job on someone, and I miss it?" No, we're just yeah. pointing at fireworks stuff that we could go yeah. see tomorrow. But you know, this is actual SRX racing. Point at this stuff. Yeah, yeah that's, that's that's the last I'm going to say. Josh, if you have anything else you'd like to add about SRX, please do. Otherwise, we could go ahead and move on to the F1 race in Austria, which I was able to get up early for, uh, and then fell asleep after the race and woke up to the Nathan's hot dog contest. Uh, I I heard it was weird because it was funny and I know I'm going to let you do this last thing I'm going to say I laughed my butt off because I had a dream about Joey Chestnut and that's when I woke up that's why I woke up because I fell asleep after the F1 race and the Nathan's Hot Dog Contest came on right after the F1 race and I fell asleep and in my dream I was hearing the TV and they kept talking about Joey Chestnut so suddenly subconsciously he comes in my dream and starts eating hot dogs weird weird thing happening right josh what do you have to say about srx and then we'll move on to austria
0: i don't know i need a five minute recess judge i can't i can't handle what i just heard from rob um i'll save a little bit what i have to say for a a later segment but i enjoyed the race once again srx putting on great stuff i hate that it's race four of six we're almost out of it arp blues raceway great race um uh, I mean, they tried to throw it away for, for Ernie Francis there, but I love the speed battle. Honestly, I really wanted Ernie Francis to win that race. I won't lie to you, just because he is this road course guy, and he doesn't have this that much oval experience. And Scott Speed has oval experience in from NAS- his time in NASCAR. Um, I was okay with either of them winning because, I mean, Scott Speed's a cool guy. Scott Speed's cool. Uh, I, w- I w- wouldn't mind that at all. Um, but Ernie Francis Jr., just he's showing, he's like, hey, I'm beating these guys who have somewhere in motorsports made their mark, who have made history, um, won championships, won races. So, um, great race, again, just fantastic race. So, um, and I think it showed, too, that, hey, a one-groove rac- racetrack, can be a multi-groove, but a one-groove
1: racetrack is not bad. I love— You I never think—I don't think IRP is a one-groove racetrack. I, I'm actually going to argue that. I actually think—and this is just me from driving it in simulators and from watching it on racetracks, but I actually do think there's a substantial two grooves that you can make work there. You can make the outside groove work, and you can make the inside groove work. It just depends on how your car is handling and how good of a driver you are it can very well be an easily a two-groove racetrack. And I think we saw that on Saturday. It is yep. possible. And, you know, we saw it in the NASCAR races prior. It was always yep. a two-groove racetrack. So I, I don't know.
0: Uh, you just listen. You know, there's just the people out there and just trying to turn their turn their opinion, say it is a multi-groove racetrack. But, yeah, I, I agree. I think there's There's always kind of been those two there. All right, so on to Formula One here. Rob, this was a race that, let's see, what did I do for whatever reason? on? I couldn't fall asleep on Saturday. Um, very well, and I might have dozed off on and off for like a lap or two during the F one race, but for the most part, I watched the whole thing. I won't lie, I watched most of the, most of the race. Um, but uh, the big takeaway on this one is, let the drivers race.
1: Holy Seriously. cow! Um, my goodness, uh, so I many mean, penalties, and this is not. It's not just this. I mean, this was like this in the F three race too. Logan Sargent got his first podium of the year and the first podium ever for Charouz taken away because of quote unquote track limits violations and see right we, for track limits i'm so track limits was it. stupid and so then tra- so sorry you're you're right track limits was stupid but then uh what what the the pen the penalty on lando norris was equally stupid and when you have christian horner the the team me. boss of the car that Lando pushed off, saying that it's a BS penalty. It's a yeah, BS penalty. It's a BS penalty. They, for you gotta, this is I don't know
0: what it's like that F one race directors office just says, what do we want to pick on today? What are we going to? What are we going to be really picky about? Create today?
1: the most boring race possible.
0: I just, I don't understand that. I mean, it's like you you are handicapping the drivers. I mean, you're going, you're these guys are going elbows out all right, and, and they just were saying, no, you can't do that, you can't prove a guy, I didn't see one penalty that was, it says, hey, yes, you drove a guy off, here's a five-second penalty, that was actually, like, they had position, and you forced them off the track, I didn't see one that was anywhere close to that, in my opinion, okay, others, others listening to this, Rob, you might have a different opinion, but I didn't think, I think every single, um, penalty for, you know, Running a guy off is mainly in turn um turn four. I think they were all b s penalties. They were all b s penalties all day long, and i i didn't I didn't agree with that at all. The other thing that I loved was watching was if you didn't enjoy that alonzo uh, George Russell battle, I mean that was that's a heartbreaker. Even Alonzo said after the race, I hated to do that. I feel sad that i that that I had to take that point away. Because uh, I, th- I think he knows how hard they're fighting. You know, I don't know. I can not know if Al- Alonso's ever been in a car as bad as this Williams is, or how low this
1: Williams is. Oh, he's the 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 McLarens he were in were really bad. So I think Alonso probably gets it. Oh, wait, he, but, but they didn't. They at least score points though. They didn't. It, it's not like they. It, okay, here's the thing. It's not like they didn't have the pace to score points. It's not like Alonso himself didn't have the pace hard. to score yeah. points. I, I don't know how many points Stoffel Dorn scored in 2017. I can't imagine it was very much. If it yeah. was, if if it was any more than ten, I'll be surprised. I I, I don't know how much that was, but I'm I actually going to look it up. I'm going to look it up, Josh. Yeah. You keep talking. I'm going to look it up. Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, that was
0: that was a great battle. I, I, you know, you mentioned the Mercedes making the decision. I think there's just. To me, I think it's an obvious decision, and the reason you're delaying it is there's probably some contract wordage that they can't make a decision before a certain point. But you also want to see, okay, Botas, you have you have a few races here. Make them count. Prove to us why he
1: he he, uh, you deserve to come back. Rob, you found out? Yeah, I found out. Okay, so I I I guess they did score more than ten points, but in both seasons for Stoffel van Doren, I guess he scored thirteen points in twenty seventeen and. Twelve points in twenty eighteen. So, just because they were scoring points doesn't mean they were doing. They were literally finishing like eighth and ninth most races. But that, but Russell and this Williams in these Williams cars past three years have not. Actually, uh, yeah. Here, this is here. This is this is true. Uh, in in twenty eighteen, when he scored twelve points, Stoffel Van Dorn's highest finish was eighth. He retired from two races, and everything else was basically a disaster. However, in 2017 he retired from five races and scored as high as seven but he only finished in the points three times as opposed to four times in 2018 but so he scored seventh at singapore seventh at malaysia and then 10th at hungary everything else was either retirement or out of the points so yeah that the mclaren honda was garbage and yeah. so I can imagine that Alonzo probably understands where George Russell is coming from when you're just so desperate to score points and that finishing 10th is, is just like a win for you.
0: Yeah. Well, and that, so we talk about the, the, just the over policing. We talk about that. Hamilton potentially had damage under his car, but let's talk about Max Verstappen for a second, because last week we failed to mention that it was the first time he'd won back-to-back races in his career. Now he's won three in a row, which obviously is the first time he's done in his career. That's a 15th career win. I just kind of wanted to note this because this is interesting to me and I think it's completely plausible that this can happen. Just by the the confidence that he and he, that team is, have, is is certainly growing and is just amounting each race. Um, he has tied Jensen Button for 18th all-time on F1's win list. If he wins eight more races this season, that puts him at 23 wins. And tied for 12th with Nelson Piquet and Nico Rosberg. If he he just needs eight more wins. Now I know there's going to be races and tracks coming up this year that Mercedes might have a better shot at competing and beating the Red the Red Bull car. Um, But obviously you gotta have things go right. Gotta have good pit stops. Gotta might hit your marks, etc., etc. But I just thought that'd be interesting to throw out there. And so let's look at the points. Max Verstappen has a 32 point lead over Lewis Hamilton. When was the last time Lewis Hamilton was more than a race worth points out of first place?
1: I got to tell you something. I don't know when that when the last time that was, was but if you told me this was going to happen at the beginning of this year, I would have said no way. I would not have believed you that Verstappen would be this far ahead of Hamilton. I really honestly <coughs> Excuse me. I really am surprised that max has beaten hamilton so consistently the past several weeks and so easily i mean it really seems like mercedes is weak weakened when you even see lando norris getting a podium when he starts qualifying second when the mercedes isn't even on the front row of qualifying i mean this is i i never expected this like this is insane I mean this is it it seems like all Red Bull had to do was bring in Perez and Mercedes comes crashing down. I think I think there's a little bit of um you know we talk about the, the Red Bull poaching
0: people. Uh that's happened over the course of this year a little bit with their engine stuff. Their engine reliability has certainly improved as well. I mean if, I feel has, like, yes. I feel like last year you're saying I have I have a power issue. I have power issue whether it was Albon, but usually it was Verstappen. Oddly, they always had the power issue. Like, why can't you get the guy who's finishing eighth to ninth in each race have the power issue, not the guy who's actually contending for wins, um, and podiums? But I digress. Um, yeah, I'm I I. This is this is. This is a very interesting season, and I'm welcoming it a lot. Uh, so I'm I'm in I'm I'm interested to see how the next two races go. Um, let's see. I I'm going to pull up because I can't remember how many more races they have before the summer break. As I pull up the 2021 schedule, all right. So they have Silverstone and the Hungaroring. So uh, uh, the British Grand Prix and the Hungary Grand Prix, Hungarian Grand Prix. Um, coming up, and then they have the four-week break before Spa. So, uh, and I think we probably will know who will be the Mercedes driver here. So, this is these are two key races for not only Hamilton and his championship pursuit, but also for Botas and in 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 his proving his worth to be uh, a Mercedes driver in twenty twenty two. So, um, yeah, I'm I. I I don't have much more to say for the F1 racer than that. I mean, it's a solid race. There's a, there's some good racing throughout the, throughout the field, despite the over policing. Um, I like that they ignored Verstappen because he was just blowing everyone away. I mean, just like, I'm a, he was out there, Jean Girard in this race, one handed <laughs> driving with a cup of tea, and maybe even a reading a book on his uh iPad on his on his phone from, you know, Amazon ebook or Google ebook or whatever. So I mean it's an easy day for him. Rob, anything else from Formula One there before we move on to uh to IndyCar? I think we
1: should try and move on as
0: quickly as we can. Let's go on to IndyCar then.
1: Uh <laughs> Rob This was
0: certainly a, a strategy race that I thought New Garden had nailed and then at the end uh, just almost threw it away for a third straight week.
1: Well, I, you know, I've been very critical about Mid-Ohio, and this was a standard Mid-Ohio race. This was not last year's Mid-Ohio race. This was a standard Mid-Ohio race, where it was not very entertaining, but at the very least, the ending few laps were entertaining. Yeah. Um, I, Well, I shouldn't say it wasn't entertaining. There were there were moments, I think, there were moments... It started out very entertaining. There was a lot of action in the, in the start when you can get it started. Yeah. Um, and then... But I don't know if that was so much entertaining as it was annoying. Um, I
0: think it was annoying if you were fans of Andretti Autosport or Will Power.
1: Yeah, I would. Yeah. i probably agree with that. Um, but uh, overall, I would have to say that it was a standard Mid Ohio race. And at the very end there, I was actually genuinely intrigued because I thought Erickson was going to have a shot at New Garden. Yeah, I think. And he, I, um, he need one more lap. He he did probably need one more lap. I think New Garden. Newgarden was able to hold him off just just the right amount. I think you're right. I think if there was one more lap, I think it would have been a lot harder for Newgarden to hold off Erickson because Erickson was right there. He was was fighting tooth and nail until they they crossed that finish line. Uh, And and speaking of Marcus Erickson, I just want to give a shout-out to him in general. Um, This is is the most fun I've seen him drive since I've watched him in GP2. And I've always said Erickson is a talented driver. I said that earlier when I was talking about Tatiana Calderon. Look, Marcus Ericsson is somebody who people kind of just wrote off as being not that great for F1. Um, most people weren't super thrilled about him in in GP2. I mean, he did win races, but nobody really ever... I, I don't think people saw Ericsson as a future F1 champion. And I, he, he isn't, naturally, but that doesn't mean that he's not a good driver. He's still a very good driver. He still deserved... His tenure in F1, I, I would say he definitely deserved his tenure in F1. I wish he could have been to some better teams and had a little bit more success outside of Sauer. Uh And Caterham, good God, poor guy. He was at Caterham his first year. That probably humbled him a lot. <laughs> that probably, Well, he had Kamui Kobayashi as his teammate too, which was also pretty nice. And that probably helped him learn a lot too because Kamui is arguably one of the better drivers that really was never in a top F1 ride. Um, but, you know, Marcus Ericsson has just been on on such a tear this year. Uh, he's got a race win this year, and I think he's really gelling with this Ganassi team. And, and I think he, that's great because he seems to be learning a lot from Scott Dixon, passing on a lot to Alex Pillow and 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 serving as a mentor to him, and, and learning a lot more about oval racing, I think, from Tony Kanaan and Jimmy Johnson. Um, you know, Jimmy Johnson might not might be a lot of help when it comes to, uh, racing in an IndyCar, an Opel car, and a road course, but I think Johnson could very well, as well as Kanan, can, should be, uh, could be pointed to as a reason for his, uh, better success on ovals this year as well. So I look at Marcus Erickson as just being one of the more improved IndyCar drivers of this year. And it's really great to see because he's somebody out there that, like I said, I think He has a chip on his shoulder a little bit. He has something to prove, and I'm really glad that he's getting the opportunity to go out there and show what he can do. I mean, he has a great ride in Chip Ganassi's cars, and I think he—I just am really impressed with him. If I i should have given him the outstanding performance, but I didn't. But he was definitely considered, I'll tell you that.
0: Yeah. I mean, Chip Ganassi had three of their four cars in the top four. Um, Those four cars, the, the Ericsson, Pillow, and Dixon are gelling really well. They're the team to beat right now. Rossi got his best finish of the year. Grosjean was 7th. I think he could have had a better day.
1: Grosjean Award. had a very mediocre day, to, but to bring it home 7th was impressive. Yep. And here's the other thing I want to say. I hate you, Santino Ferrucci. I hate your guts, but that was a good drive on Sunday.
0: Great drive. I was about to say, good like, like Ward and him snuck out top 10s that were maybe top 15 efforts there. So... um and Colton Herta had a bad day, had two mistakes on pit road. You can't have that. You can't have that especially in a race where you're not. This day. And that
1: country. really just did. I mean, I, yeah. I was sitting there the whole time thinking, man, Herta, Herta might have this race where right where he wants it mm-hmm. until the first pit stop he comes in. Or not the first pit stop, until he comes in. It was was the first pit stop? Okay, yeah, I couldn't remember. remember it both. Yeah. But he comes in and you know, can't get the fuel fueling works. And then he comes in the second stop, stalls a car. And it's just yeah. like, dude. Dude, rebounded. You could have rebounded from the fuel hose. Nobody would have, you know, hated you for that because it's not out of your control. But when you stall the car and you're having a bad day, yikes. Yeah. I wouldn't want to be him.
0: Compounds the issue for sure. Um, let's move on to Cup at. Road America. Sorry, I had to do it again there, folks. I'm sorry. Um, first time cup at, at, at Road America since 1956, and Tim Flock won that race. Um, Rob, I didn't get to see the last 14. I was watching the race. I was doing a little research for the segment later, and I had to do that, and I only got to watch up until the 14 laps to go, but I know how the last 14 laps basically went. Um, I enjoyed the cup cars at Road America. I don't know why I wouldn't. The Xfinity cars are put on a dang good show there um,
1: since twenty ten when they
0: started going.
1: I so. figured I, I sat there and I thought, you know, NASCAR could bring the worst possible package here, and I still can guarantee you that the, the drivers will put on a good race. And they yeah. did. They did. They didn't They're bring the a worst great package, race. but the drivers still put on a good race. They what? I it said, was they, didn't, what? they didn't uh bring oh, a terrible package. No, so that's that's back good. Back. Even yeah. if they did, but I was saying even if they even if they did, the the drivers would have put on a good show no matter what. So we're yeah. lucky we still had a good package and a good show as well um i was very impressed i was really actually excited for this you know i still hate the fact that we're not talking about a race at daytona today i know i hate that i wish we were but this is actually i think a lot of people were asking about it you know bob pockers i think posed the question um, maybe Dave Coleman did as well. He's of the, uh, Milwaukee, Milwaukee journal Sentinel. I had a great conversation with him a couple of years ago at IMS. I just wanted to say, I know he doesn't listen to the show, but I want to say hi to Dave. Um, and he probably doesn't remember me or know who I am either, but I want to say hi to him anyway, cause I, I appreciated the time he took to talk to me, uh, at IMS. It was the year when Jim, it was the year, but it was the year that, that Jim had taken the Colts job and we hadn't hired the racing reporter yet. And he was there working for us um uh, at the brickyard that seat that year and i really appreciated him taking the time to talk to me about it I, just talk to me shoot the breeze we were at practice we weren't well nothing not much was going on and he uh took time to shoot the breeze with me and talk with me and i appreciated that but anyway um there was questions being asked about whether or not you know road america is now the new nascar fourth of july tradition and to be honest with you as much as i hate the fact that it's not at daytona I'm well, fine with this. I, I I'm fine with this. This is way better than Indy. I'll say that 100, 100 times over. This is way better than it being in Indianapolis. I, I like this Road America uh, being here. This is a very, very good. Um, I guess if they're if they're gonna do this, if this was what they're gonna do, they don't want to run Daytona on the, as a they, firecracker 400 anymore. They if that's dead in the water, what have you? Then this is this is a fine replacement. I I, I still hate it, but this is a good replacement because that was a good race on Sunday. Yeah, it was. I thought it was good. I mean, great for the fans. I mean, it's just a lot of space. You can see
0: a lot of different action. It's just... Road racing and 4th of July goes well together, and NBC did a great job packing it all in, and I think they did a really good job of transitioning from the end of the IndyCar race to basically, we're starting the Cup race. So there wasn't an hour of pre-race on NBC before the Cup race got going, so good move there. Um, but uh, I wanted to say... One of my favorite points of this race was Matt DiBenedetto and Austin Cendrick battling for the lead. Um, I, I really thought, like, this This isn't so much looking into the future, but Matt DiBenedetto is saying, hey, I know you're coming up to Cup next year. I know you're supposed to be in this 21 car, but he, I deserve to be in it. I'm going toe-to-toe with one of the best road course racers in NASCAR right now. And that's Austin Cindric. Austin Cindric is one of the
1: best road course racers right now, in, in all of NASCAR. All After right. After seeing Sindrick's qualifying at COTA and now at Road America, I would, I was, I this is, I am waiting. This is what really bothers me is if if Sendrick, uh races uh, IMS or the Roval. Yeah. I am waiting for this guy to win. I think he's going to do it. If, if if this is the thing that bothers me though, he's usually running an R&D car, so it's going to fall apart at some point during the race. It didn't during the Daytona 500, which I also thought he was going to win at one point. Yeah, um, he have, almost he could have won any of these really just about three or four of these races that he's been in. I mean, if he did, if he doesn't have a mechanical issue, he did, what, what 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 broke on the car? Rear sway bar, rear track uh, bar? I can't remember. I think it uh was it an axle. Okay, so so something related to to yeah. the to the to the axle, to the tires, the rear end housing, and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. Um I really thought if he doesn't have that problem, he wins this race. I, I truthfully do, and and not to mention, but uh, you know, Chase Elliott starting thirty fourth position, and he wins this race. Kyle Busch started last. Last. And
0: yeah. Which and finished
1: serious. what second or third?
0: He finished third. What was it, third? I think Bell, Bell finished second.
1: sweeping the weekend at road America. Yeah. He finished second. He did finish second. Okay. So he finished, third. he finished third.
0: He finished third. He finished third.
1: Okay. So he finished third. We were that close to Kyle Bush sweeping the weekend. Yeah. Like we were that close. And and we, we seriously, this is the thing that's crazy is you think you can cripple Kyle Busch. You think, you know, Oh, make him start last at a road course at a four mile road course. That'll make it hard for him. Now finish his third. No, no, NBD, NBD. Oh, put him in Road America, a place he's never driven before in the Xfinity Series. And he, I bet you he won't win. No, he goes out and wins. It's like,
0: Well, well, that, that race, I would argue he was the fourth best car. And I would say watching that race, to me, I think circumstances that win fell into his lap. Okay, fine. You can say that. I don't think he, I don't think he, I don't think Kyle Busch, and I wrote this in my thing for French stretch. I said, I don't think he was... The favorite to win that race. I don't think he was. That's And you can't say that too often about Kyle Busch in the Xfinity Series, that he wasn't the favorite.
1: Even though, even, that's, even that being said, dude still won. You can't dude cripple Kyle Busch. Yeah. You, you can't cripple Kyle Busch and keep NFB. him out of victory line. If Kyle Busch has the drive and he has the car underneath him, mm-hmm. he'll do it. He'll do and it. that's And that's why I'm hoping that the next-gen car, when the next-gen car comes out, I hope that it puts the driving back in the driver's hands, so that yes. Kyle Busch can go out there and do this kind of thing every single week, so that his haters just shut. I mean, look, I get why people hate Kyle Busch. I get it, but at some point, his people who just love to hate this guy have to stop and appreciate how good of a driver he is. I mean, this is, you do this. Jeff Gordon, you had to. Lots of people had to do with this with Jeff Gordon. At some point, you had yeah. to just stop and appreciate just how good not only he was, but Ray Evernham was. You had to just stop. And then when he, you took Evernham away from him, you think that's going to cripple him. He goes out and he still wins a championship. You think, OK, th- you think, OK, that's going to cripple Gordon. No, Gordon still goes out there and he wins 83 some odd races in his entire. Sorry. 93, huh? 93, 93, Sorry, excuse 93. me. 93 races in his entire career, and yeah. you're going to sit here, and at some point all those Gordon haters that were Earnhardt fans back in the day had to stop and appreciate what they were witnessing. These Kyle Busch haters are going to have the same thing happen at some point. They're going to have yeah. to stop and <laughs> witness and just appreciate what they're witnessing. You are witnessing the greatest driver of this time, of this era, Going out there and doing what he does best every single week, and passing his knowledge on to his son, who is probably going to come up and do the same thing in the next twenty years. So get ready for that when Brexton gets up to Cup. Get ready for that, everybody, because that's inevitable.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, last thing I wanted to point out here: um, good day, another good day for Chip Ganassi Racing. The summer here, ever since Charlotte, they have turned it
1: up. You know, they Chastain had this- looked good, and this is what bothers me: is if Chastain doesn't have a ride next year, I'm going to be really mad because Chastain has had an ex- excellent summer. He has right. shown that he can compete and he can uh compete at a high level in Cup.
0: Well, I never thought I never thought he couldn't, and I don't understand why the
1: Some naysayers did. Some people,
0: Some people did. People did, and I just didn't get them. Like, okay, great, he's been driving a Spire Motorsports car that wasn't great um prior to this. Okay, yeah, he's going to finish. 32nd he was driving a premium motorsports car yeah he's gonna finish 36th okay in xfinity he's racing for johnny davis what what, i mean he was out and and he's outperforming johnny davis's equipment to be fair i'm probably i'm pretty i'm I'm to be fair landon castle also does but they don't put him in the car enough yeah i would think you know he's adjusted to this car he's adjusted to the pack different packages here ross chastain knows what he's doing I think Rob, I what what you're seeing, what, what I'm seeing. I think it's more so likely that Kurt Busch could be going to 2311 next year. I hope that Ross Chastain gets his opportunity to interview for a drive with Trackhouse, and I think Trackhouse would be would be silly to dismiss him from from their short list. And you know they've got a short list, right? Um, and I and I don't know who else they could put in there or would put in there. Do you want to go with experience? Do you want to go with youth? I think Ross Chastain fits both
1: of those. Yeah, they could. It, hey, if the Keselowski thing happens and someone has to be cut, they could sweep up Ryan Newman. I mean, and I I would hate that for Chastain, but I mean, they they could go that route too. They they could. I I just I just don't. I just don't know if that's. I can't see him going to track house though. I can't. You really I can't. Can, I mean, I, I, I wasn't saying it's going to happen. Yeah, I'm just saying I it's a possibility. If it's a possibility, but I can't see it happening. We'll see how silly season works out. I mean, no, we're it's, still it's, in the very, very early very, stages of silly season. Yeah, we'll probably very much. get crazier like around August and September, but
0: yeah. Once you start figuring out who's going to have the charters, who's going to have full time, is going to have once one those, or two?
1: Once that first domino falls, once that Keselowski domino falls, I think which is going to come around. Gonna fall, things are going to fall into place. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's move on here, Rob. The uh, the weekend wrap up. Let's wrap it up. Go ahead. Yeah, let's go ahead and uh, wrap this up. So Xfinity Series, we already mentioned at Road America. Kyle Busch won the race. The Arkham Menard Series West was at Ir- Irwindale. Hey, that was cool. I caught that uh, on, a re- on a re-air, not a re-air, but like I watched the um, replay of it on, on track pass. I love Irwindale. I-, I hope that that track stays around for a long time. I love Irwindale I think so, so much. I think um, IMSA was in Watkins Glen again. Um CPI was won by Wheeland engineering people Durani Felipe Nazar Nazar another guy who is teammates with Ericsson, who everybody kind of wrote off as being kind of like a pay driver or something look at what this guy does in imsa right now this driver. is this is why I, this is what I was saying about Tatiana Calderon earlier is not everybody's cut, cut out for F1 and sometimes drivers just need to try a little bit of everything before they find their niche look at what Nazar's doing right now yeah. he tried a little bit he tried a little indie car he tried some F1. You know, he tried some. he's tried some touring cards. He's finding his niche now, and, him, uh, and he's winning a lot. And, and nobody's going to sit there and say Felipe Nazar is not a bad driver because everybody knows he is. He's a good driver. Uh, and, and, and if you don't know, then that's your problem, and you haven't watched Felipe Nasr uh, like you should be. Um, anyway, uh, in LMP2, that was PR1, Mathias in motorsports, Mikhail Jensen and Ben Keating won that. LMP3 in that class, Raleigh Motorsports, Felipe Fraga and Gar Robinson gtlm corvette racing antonio garcia jordan taylor gtd vassar sullivan racing jack hawksworth Aaron tillitz uh hey w series was uh had their second race at the red bull ring and that race again was on b sports extra the free channel <laughs> actually had fine coverage I actually i don't think i don't think i don't think it inserted a lot of commercials i think it was actually fairly decent coverage from what i recall so uh, but Jamie Chadwick won that, and that was only a matter of time. Chadwick's the best in the W Series, and Chadwick has continuously proven why she's one of the best young prospects in motorsports right now who's probably not going to have a legitimate shot at anything. Like I said, she got Prema. She was with Prema in forming the regional last year, but guess what Prema did to her? They gave her, like, literally nothing. Um, they focused all of their attention on Petikoff and uh, LeClaire, and they shoved LeClaire in F3 because LeClaire's the golden boy, and we all know that. Petikoff had no money, so they— I don't, or he had a little bit of money, so like he was the second, and then the third and fourth guys. I'll just screw them, right? That's how it works in F three. It's all about. It's how it works in regional series, in in, in theater series. It's all about who brings the most money. You get the best car. If you don't bring the most money, you don't get the best car. That's what happens. Yeah. Unless you're a really good driver like Logan Sargent, and you could take the worst car in the grid and put it on a podium, only for the race stewards to rip it away from you because of BS reasons. I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, yeah, like this, so formula three, Red Bull ring, race one was won by Dennis Hager uh, Hager, and yeah, like I said, Logan Sargent was supposed to be on the podium for this, but he got taken away because the FIA is stupid, whatever i'm I'm not totally upset about this um and race two, hey David Schumacher, the son of Ralph Schumacher. Mm-hmm. Ralph's son, not mm-hmm. Michael's son. This is not Mick. We're talking about Ralph Schumacher's son. David won his first Formula 3 race. This is huge because a lot of people were questioning David Schumacher's abilities last year. He wasn't really with a good team. He moved into a different team this year, and now he's winning. And this that's all you need to know about him. He's a Schumacher. He'll be fine. <laughs> He'll get there on, on name, but if you can win some stuff, it, it helps a lot, trust me. Oh, yeah. Uh, winning here's a lot. Uh, Red Bull Ring race three. Uh, Formula Three that was won by Frederick Vesti, the other Prima driver. Uh, oh, he was the third guy. There, he brought money. I forgot he brought money. Petakoff didn't bring money, but he was Petakov was a better driver, but he didn't bring enough money. Um, USF 2000 was at Mid Ohio. Uh, Michael orlando won one race. One Kiko Porto won race two. Michael D'Orlando won race three. Indy Pro 2000 was at Mid Ohio as well. Christian Rasmussen won race one. Hunter McElray won race two. And Indy Lights was swept by Kyle Kirkwood in uh, mid-Ohio. Um, and that is it for the rundown of the weekend wrap-up. Uh, let's jump into outstanding performance real quick here. Josh, what do you say?
0: Yeah, uh, I, I, I'm going with Ernie Francis Jr. on this one. Um, I was really... Again, the, the kid's got limited Oval experience. All right? As you noted before we were, before we're talking... You know, you couldn't figure out if you'd won an oval race before this or not. Um, I
1: really wish I had somebody in the in the media center with me to answer this question while I was writing. But I had nobody up there. Yeah. Maybe you should try and find his mom and dad, but that would have been a little
0: weird. But, um, yeah, I'm going with Ernie Francis Jr. on this one because he is just time and time again. He has been the most consistent driver, in my opinion, through these four races in SRX. He has just... He is continuously marched to the front wherever he started, whether it was heat or race. He's gone up. He's made his way up front every single time. And this race, he 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 held his elbows out against uh, Scott Speed. I mean, there was no question about that. He was not going to let Scott Speed go or get past him without a fight. And I enjoyed that. I could have I could have watched that battle for another ten laps. And for him to win at IRP, uh, great job on on Ernie Francis's part. It's going to be fun to watch this kid um, you know, run these next two races at Slinger and national fairgrounds.
1: Yeah. Um, I said it earlier. I was talking about Kyle Busch and I'm giving it to Kyle Busch and the reasons why I've already think I've stated, uh, the fact of the matter is you can't cripple him. And he had one of the best weekends. I mean, there were a lot of other drivers out there this weekend. I mentioned it. I hate his guts, but Ferrucci had a great run. Uh, Erickson had a great run. Um, Lando Norris had a great run. George Russell had a great run. um, you know, I'm thinking about Ernie Francis, like you said, had a great run. I'm thinking about all these guys who are just deserving of it. But at the same time, I don't think any any of those drivers put on nearly ex- the the weekend that Kyle Bush did. Kyle That's Bush fair. goes out in the Xfinity Series, wins the race. Like, I mean, you could argue if it was gifted to him or not, what have you. But at the same time, he goes out there, starts last in the Cup Series, and finishes third, and actually leads. He was leading laps in the race too. Like, I mean. You cannot cripple this guy. He's just the best driver out there right now. And if you're not if you're not able to see that, I feel like you're blind. I mean, yes, Chase Elliott's a great driver, and I don't want to take anything away from Chase Elliott, but he's not doing what Kyle Busch is doing. What Kyle Busch is doing is unheard of. Kyle Busch is just winning and running well and you know, it doesn't matter where he starts, it doesn't matter what happens, it doesn't matter, you know, how many penalties he has. It, he's still going to end up up front. He's still gonna end up at the front by the end of the race and he's gonna say oh, it, it, we just we just were off today or we had a bad day or something or, or it was all driver or something you know he's gonna trash talk the car and basically prove that he's best driver because he hates the cars the cars suck to drive the cars are hard to drive for him and he's still able to go out there and and, and pull off incredible feats. Like he's being able to, so I really it's it's hard to not give it to Kyle Bush this week. And I, like I said, I know it seems unfair. You want to give it to like an underdog? You, sh- you sh- I should give it to Lando Norris. I should give it to Marcus Erickson. You know I should give it to Ferrucci. I never will. I never will. Um, but I'm sorry, Kyle Bush had the better weekend, and that's my that's my final answer. All right, I, I mean I can't I can't argue with you on that one. I think you got a good
0: one. All right, so let's move on to the upshift, downshift here. Um, we got four questions here once again. Uh, upshift means we agree. Downshift means we disagree. We might even throw it into the neutral uh, because we can't make up our mind or uh, we don't have enough information to, to, to make a decision. So uh, you know, play along. Uh, you know, we post these questions on on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. So uh, uh, let's know what your thoughts are as well. And in your feature paints game too, I didn't name drop that earlier. So for uh, question one here. This is kind of a hypothetical a championship point for leading at least one lap in a race should return to NASCAR. Do you upshift or downshift?
1: I upshift on this, but I'm gonna add a point that I think I sh- I think would be better. Go ahead. so we have the idea of consistency. We want to reward consistency. that's what everybody clamors for is rewarding consistency. okay, okay. so what, we, what NASCAR did was they created the stages and they said, Positions one through through ten, they get stage points, and if you win the race, you get a you get a playoff point. If you win the stage, you get a playoff point. How's this? How about this? How about we do this? How about you lead a lap, you get a playoff point if you're in the playoffs. If you're in the playoffs, you get a playoff point. If you're not in the playoffs, you get a bonus point to help you get into the playoffs. Why do I say that? Why I say this specifically because it will then. You, you have a further reward of consistency so even even so so what what this is important for is those drivers and those teams that make gambles uh with two laps to go they pit with two. obviously they're out of contention for winning the stage but they still were leading the race for most of the day so you don't want to penalize those people champion you if you want to reward consistency you don't want to penalize those people making strategy calls before the end of stages so you say okay you let a, you let a lap during the during the race so we'll give you a stage point for leading that just we'll give you a playoff point for leading that, that lap now you can earn another playoff point if you win the stage but in the event that you don't win the stage you'll still get to keep that playoff point for leading a lap that's how i think it should be done now i'm cuz i think you're getting messy and you're kind of if you give just away generic bonus points i don't think you're rewarding the consistency that these 5 bonus points would that the five bonus points of the old of old used to. I think if you reward the playoff point, which means you go further in the playoffs to begin with, that means you have more incentive to try and stay out and lead a lap. You have more uh, incentive to you know try different things. you create you crazy up that strategy. You don't have to just you know decide, okay, we're gonna pit before the stage or we're gonna pit after the stage. It's not it's much more than that now. It's much more than that. You can add a lot more to the race, I think, if you put a playoff point up for grabs rather than just a generic championship point. Because I think, like I said, that playoff point is going to carry over into the playoffs. You want to reward consistency, that's a better way to reward it. You know, it, you still got to make them hard to come by. But so like I said, if you're locked into the playoffs, that'll— then it's a playoff point. If you're not locked in, then it's a championship point to help you get into the playoffs. That's personally how I think it should be div- divided. I understand it might be a little bit muddy. There might be some people who disagree with me on this, and that's fine. That's totally fine. But if we're literally, if we're in the box that we're in, we can't change any of the rules other than this rule. That's how I think it should be implemented. So I would upshift on that.
0: Uh, I, I I see where you're coming from. And I, and, and I, I do think that's, that's, slightly bit muddy um but i do see where you're coming from i upshift because i think it just it would kind of like encourage um these guys who are on the on, on the fringe where every point matters you look at like a kurt bush entering this this week he's three points a good um or maybe he was a little bit more than i think it was three points good i lead a lap all right i got uh, one more point coming my way doesn't matter where i lead that I get an extra point. Uh, and, even, and even if you want to say, if you lead a lap in stage one, you get, uh, a, pl- uh, you get a championship point. You lead a lap in stage two, you get a second uh, championship point. You lead a lap in the final stage. To me, that that gets added up a little bit too much and it just muddies it up. I say, if you just lead one lap. So Matt Benedetto, his goal could be, all right, our goal is to try to lead at least one lap per race through green flag pit cycle. And let's say you have the opportunity to do that. That's 26 points at the end of the at the end of the regular season that you've accumulated that can be, be the difference between you missing or making the playoffs. That's was kind of like where I was coming. I'm going to come from it is that I don't think you should be get a playoff point from it because I feel like you need to officially win something to do that. Whether that be a stage or a race. Um, and that's why I, I labeled it a championship point, I guess, in the question. But I see where you're coming from, too. I, I completely see where you're coming from with the consistency because that's what they're trying to reward. Um, Next question. Chip Ganassi Racing's departure from NASCAR does not affect the chances of Honda entering NASCAR. Do you upshift or downshift?
1: I don't really know the chances. I don't even know if the chances are good or bad. I really don't know. I'm putting it in neutral because I have, I have no... No extra outside information in this. I have no idea if Honda is leaning towards or not entering NASCAR. I mean, I know it's been rumored. Yeah. I know that they've been in con, like they've had conversations. But as far as I know, I don't think anything is like actually in the process of happening. Like I, I don't think I think it's just been like people, you know, shooting everywhere, you know, just kind of like chatting it up and saying, oh, hey, wouldn't it be cool if, if, if. Honda entered a team in NASCAR. Oh yeah, that'd be kind of cool. You want to do it? Ah, well, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. That's kind of what it seems like. The conversations are at right now. So I, I don't think it had anything to do with it at all, if anything. I don't. I think the the two were completely independent. Personally.
0: I think the biggest thing that has kind of happened in, in you know, Brett Griffin doesn't, doesn't mind. He's not running full time. He doesn't have to, or being spotting full time. You know, he kind of coughed Honda a couple weeks ago in a door bumper clear episode when they were talking about that. I actually am going to um, downshift because I think it does affect it. Chip Ganassi Racing runs Honda in IndyCar. And if you wanted to enter NASCAR, who better else to get than Chip Ganassi Racing who is at best the number three team at Chevrolet? All right, they're never going to be on a higher than Hendrick or Richard Childress Racing. Those are always going to be the two golden golden boys of Chevrolet of Team Chevrolet in NASCAR. So go after them. The only way I would say I I I, I upshift and say it doesn't affect is, is if NASCAR says okay, if you enter if you if you commit to um, NASCAR to entering the Cup Series. We will increase the field size to forty-three, and we will get and we will uh, institute two or three more charters that will be given to you for your teams of choice. Types of deal like you you start Honda NASCAR racing, you have two charters, you're guaranteed to have two cars in each race. All right, that'd be the only way I say no. But that's that 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 right there is complete speculation and total just just kind of idea popping. So I I got to downshift because I think. I this this totally affects the whole Honda entering NASCAR game for me whether they were thinking about it or not how serious they were thinking about it to me I I can't upshift or go into neutral on this I got to downshift
1: you you mentioned the, the how Honda would go to Chip Ganassi because for NASCAR because he runs their engines it just got me thinking I was I was thinking about okay well what are there any other NASCAR owners in IndyCar right now and I was like oh yeah there is one Rick where. <laughs> oh boy. I mean, I'm not talking about Penske because Penske yeah, wouldn't do anything. Penske you know, wouldn't have anything to do with it. But no, Rick he... Ware runs Honda's with his partnership with Dale Coyne. So well, uh,
0: can you we'll imagine many...
1: Rick Ware Honda racing?
0: Well, we'll see how many charters Rick Ware has
1: beginning in 2022. Bailey Curry, driver of the number 52 Honda. Well, yeah, he's our flagship drivers, Bailey Curry and Cody Ware and J.J. Yaley and probably Reed Sorensen. Who knows? Why not? Throw yeah. in Reed there.
0: All right, let's move on to the next question because we're approaching 10 minutes to 2 hours. Santino Ferrucci is a top contender for one of Andretti Autosports' two open seats for 2022. Do you upshift or downshift him, Rob? Yes, I wrote this question specifically with you in mind.
1: Yeah, fine. I upshift. Okay. Ferrucci, I hate your guts, but talent—gotta recognize talent, man. You're good, okay? I never said you weren't. I never said you weren't good. I never said you weren't worthy of
0: getting the fair, ride you, you have.
1: I just, huh? I just said to be fair, you have never said that. You have never I said haven't. I haven't. I never said any. I never said he was a bad driver. I just hate his guts. I said, yeah, fine. Why not? Go to Andretti. Why not? Up shit. I... Yeah, I, I've shifted as well. I think the only, I think uh,
0: Ray Hall Letterman-Lanigan has expressed a, kind of their interest in maybe going to, to a three-car operation full-time next year. I would, you know, based off how he's running with their equipment, how he's meshing with the team, I think it'd be crazy for them not to want to consider him. But Andretti Autosport, yeah, you want talent. You want that this fresh, young face many years ahead of him in, in, the, in, in racing. If you could get him... Uh, put him alongside Herda and Rossi. Don't know how that chemistry is going to go. And of course, you know, Hinchcliffe and Hunter Ray could both return oh next my year. God, I just I mean, thought about him and
1: Rossi together.
0: Yeah, this would be, this, this would be a, a, a really, that, that three right there would be a three interesting dinner party. Oh my God. Um, so I, 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 gotta, I gotta, I gotta upshift. There's no reason for me not to upshift on that one. So yeah. Um, all right. Last question here. Martin tricks junior told racing boys, racing boys that if the next gen car Isn't fun, he, quote, won't hang around too long, unquote. Do you fear that the next-gen car could lead to a mass exodus of seasoned veterans if the car is not to their liking? Do you upshift or downshift?
1: Well, plain and simple, I think the Gen 6 did that. I think Tony Stewart bolted because the car sucked, be honest with you. I, I, I mean... I, I know people are going to bring up age. People are going to bring up his injuries. People are going to bring up him having fun. But you know, if the car was fun to drive, he wouldn't have wanted to hang up the the, the NASCAR steering wheel. You know, if this that I I actually do, I actually am going to upshift. I actually Truex saying this does actually concern me because I feel like I just sat here and praised Kyle Busch, dude. If Kyle Busch drives the next gen car and says it sucks, I don't think Kyle Busch Kyle Busch could go do go drive anything he wanted to yeah he could go be a dad he could go be a husband he could could go race IndyCar he could go race sports cars he go he does have he has nothing else to prove he could go be Jimmy Johnson and just go have fun at IndyCar he's got nothing to prove at this point everybody knows how good he is if he's not having fun he should go do something where he's going to have fun he should go be talented and have fun doing it um I actually do agree I actually I think Truex is right I think you know if NASCAR is not going to not going to put time into developing a car that's fun to drive that's challenging to drive and that produces good racing especially after all the complaints that people have heard from for the past almost for the past like 15 years since the car of tomorrow's been around people have been complaining about the quality of racing how fun it is to race uh, how fun the cars are to drive and all this other stuff Look, dude, if NASCAR is not focusing on those things like Truex is worried about, then they have a serious problem. And I, I would be concerned to see more veterans leave because I don't think Truex – Truex has no reason to hang around if he's not having fun. What else does he have to prove? I mean, Truex has dominated races. He's dominated the 2017 season. He's curb stomped the field in 2017. He's proven everything he needs to prove. Why the heck should he hang around if he's not having fun? You know the guys who are going to hang around are the guys who are going to need to prove stuff. The guys who've already proven themselves, like Truex, like Bush, like any other, like Harvick. Uh, what the heck do they have to prove anymore? They have nothing to prove. Just get out if they're not having fun. Go live their lives. That I mean, that's that should be a legitimate concern for NASCAR. And I hope that they're taking Truex's comments here seriously.
0: I have nothing else to add. shift. I agree. Um, it certainly has been a narrative. Since the COT became a permanent fixture in '08, that you know, in in the constant changing of packages, I think Tony had a had a lot of beef with the way NASCAR was being led in the leadership. That's, I think that was a big part of his 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 retirement from NASCAR. But I do agree, the car, you know, why can't we why can't we zero in on this is this is the package that we're going to run for three years? Why do we have to why do we have to say okay, crap, these guys are learning this? Why do we got to change it? You know, I I just don't, I I think that's a problem. Let's let's figure out what the best package is for the racing, what gets the fans most excited. Um, And I think we've seen plenty of races this year. Nashville, Darlington, Dover, Road America, all right? Short tracks, all right? These are the race tracks that have all the same package in mind. And if they're not looking at that, and where these guys are having fun, the the car is in their hands. They have to work at conserving their equipment, whether that be tires or the car itself, mechanically.
1: Look, man, right. if the drivers aren't having fun, the fans aren't going to be having fun either. You're exactly right. You're exactly right.
0: All right, uh, Rob, five minutes till two hours. I still have to do this rollers featured race. All
1: right, let's I, hurry it up. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, I probably should
0: run through this really quick. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to try to speak uh, fluently in uh,
1: sophisticated English. Did you so, know that if you most podcasts allow you to actually speed up the speaking, so you can do that if you if you really hate how long we go, you can always like speed us up. I did not know that. I did not know that. But that's a
0: very good point. All right, so I'm going to start. All right, so um, today. I'm going to talk about the 1997 Florida Dodge Dealers 400K at Miami-Dade Homestead Motorsports Complex. It's a mouthful. Yes, it is. So this race was the third of 26 races for the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series in 1997, and it was held on Sunday, March 16th. Uh, And guess what? There was an Xfinity race a few hours after this race as well. Uh, The race was on TNN. Mike Joy was the play-by-play with Buddy Baker as the color analyst Steve Burns and Mike Hodgewood were the pit road reporters. Uh, The track later to be named Homestead Miami Speedway uh, was at the time a copy of Indianapolis Motor Speedway if IMS was a mile and a half track specifically this track uh, this day was 1.5172 miles in length Uh, it had 8 degrees of banking in the corners 3 degrees on the straights Uh, the front and back stretch were both 2100 feet in length uh, the race was 400 kilometers, 167 laps, and halftime was approximately around lap 85. Kind of NASCAR had discretion on that one. And it was the second truck race at Homestead. The last l- rogue qualifiers were Dennis Setzer and Randy McDonald. They transferred into the race after a 25-lap qualifying race the day before. Those who failed to qualify were Frank Kimmel, Toby Porter, TJ Clark, Bob Rebeck, uh Michael Cohen, Terry McCarthy, John Levy, Jim Brown, Randy Tolsman, Blaze Alexander, Bobby Dotter, Ronnie Newman, Bob Shat, Jerry Glanville, and Terry Cook, uh, and Rob Rizzo, who started thirty fifth, uh, he started the race with a broken shoulder. Yeah, he started the race with a broken shoulder. Now that occurred on practice uh, early in the week on Thursday. Uh, Rizzo ran a little over thirty laps uh, before relief driver driver Kenny Hendrick uh, took over, so, uh, don't think that would be allowed today, you have a broken shoulder, you're not climbing into the car, and you're not starting the race, no way, uh, tough guy, I'll give him that much credit, uh, Brian Kenningham spun early, uh, he brought the first caution, uh, or, excuse me, I did bring out the caution, he later did bring out caution, but he spun, and there was no caution, I'm like, this is great, there's no one around, see if he gets restarted, and he went. No caution on that one. So sorry, sorry, I misspoke there. A few laps into the race, though, Mike Joyce shared that the next day at 6 a.m., March 17th, the track was going to start its reconfiguration from a rectangular oval like Indianapolis to a more traditional oval. So the, the Homestead that we saw, uh, you know, if you watched the 2001 race at Homestead Miami Speedway, that's the track they reconfigured it into, so it more looked like Atlanta. Of course, Atlanta at this time was going through its own reconfiguration from a Oval, traditional oval, to the quad oval it is today. Uh, the first caution was on lap 13. It was likely from Stacy Compton, uh, uh, who made contact with Toby Butler uh, when they and Jay Sauter went three wide into turn three, which was kind of a no-no at the track. Uh, Compton had a cut down tire, debris, and uh, tire carcass were on the track there. Drivers could come down for fuel uh, because they couldn't go all the way to lap 85 on one tank of fuel. Alright? Now, uh, they could not change tires until the halftime break at lap 85. So, the rule was, uh, that day, NASCAR said, hey, we're going to change the rules on you the day of the race. We're not going to have competition cautions for you to come down, take fuel, and you won't lose a spot on pit road. We're going to have live pit stops that only require fuel. Alright? And uh, you can take it during green flag pit stops, you can take it during a caution. Now, they have plenty of cautions to do this with. But... They had to pit. This is I just found that very interesting. Um, it was kind of more of a one-lane racetrack like Indianapolis, but they were able to, you know, have get runs off the corners. What you, you know, it didn't matter which corner it was, you gotta run, you were able to pass, get down below, get that run, and there you and there you are. You're around. And if you were caught on the outside, don't get caught on the outside because you're going to go backwards. Uh speaking of, you know, can't change tires. Barry Bodine was penalized five laps. For not having a flat tire. Yes, his team changed a tire that he thought was flat. It wasn't. He was penalized because you couldn't change tires before the halftime break. Outside of the halftime break. Unless, of course, it was flat. If you actually had a flat tire like Stacey Compton, you could put a fresh one on. You can only put one that, that one fresh one on. Uh, Mike Bliss, Joe Rutman, and Kenny Irwin, Irwin Jr. were the first to make green flag pit stops. And in the Craftsman Truck Series history... Um, On lap 71, Brian Reffner crashed hard into the outside wall in turn two. The right side of his uh, truck was pancaked, and the right front was shortened quite a bit. On lap 80, leader Mike Bliss uh, gets blown by the field and eventually stalls on the track. He ran out of fuel. Team might have miscalculated that one just a little bit. Um, And it was also reported during this caution that Jack Sprague had an irritation in his eye. During the upcoming halftime break, they were going to push water in there to flush it out, which they did. Um, Steve Burns interviewed him during the pit stop. The the crew members are on the right side of the truck. Steve Burns is on the other side of the wall interviewing Jack Sprague as his tires are getting changed and the fuel is being put in the car. It was great. This is halftime NASCAR at its finest, folks. Um, kind of similar to what you, if you've been watching SRX, what you've seen there, uh, on some of the brakes there, it's very similar to that, except it's, it's not timed for, it is timed, but it feels like it's more, it was felt like it was more faster paced. Um, Kenny Irwin Jr. during this time even got a portable fan placed in his truck because he was overheating himself, not his truck, but he was overheating. Um, advertised during this race, this came a little bit later, but I put it here because I, I, I just needed to. Um, That NASCAR Thunder, an all-new and official store of NASCAR, had uh, locations open in Atlanta, Winston-Salem, Knoxville, and Dallas, and with 10 to 12 more planned that year. I'd never heard of this place, so it just obviously didn't last very long. Um, Or, I I, I don't know, I I just missed it, I guess. Um, Ralph Sanchez, promoter of the track, who was previously with the Miami Grand Prix, told Mike Joy... uh, that uh, part of the reason for the reconfiguration... Now, I should say this took place during the halftime break. That part of the reason for this reconfiguration was safety. Precursor for what was to come in this race. So on lap 141, uh, 144, John Nemechek took a vicious hit to the driver's side door in turn one. Uh, it wasn't long before the broadcast went to commercial... And when the break ended, a the the scene was surrounded by emergency vehicles and personnel uh, around his number eight truck. He had spun entering turn one and slapped the wall. I mean, nearly square on, nearly square on. And for those of you who haven't seen the seen a, a replay of this accident, I, I mean, he just c- he couldn't get much more square. Um, Mike Doy- Joy did mention that doctors and EMTs were on the scene. Uh the race was eventually red flag as a helicopter arrived and Nemechek was transported to a nearby hospital. Uh he passed away five days later from head injuries on March twenty first that he sustained during the crash. It's believed that his head actually hit the wall uh when it when when uh when his truck made contact. Uh, on lap one fifty-four, as Mike Skinner and Jay Sauter dueled side by side into turn four, Jack Sprague pushed uh the young Kenny Irwin Jr. passed the duel, uh, and he led his first career lap in the Truck Series. Sauter, who entered turn, uh, for second, entered turn one fourth. Irwin Jr. would pull away as Skinner and Sprague traded, uh, second place amongst themselves. And then on lap 157, another vicious crash occurred in turn one. Same spot. Toby Butler made a move to Jay Sauter's inside as the two entered, uh, turned one. Sauter squeezed him onto the ripple strips, uh, The move turned Sauter, who almost had an identical side slap into the wall as Niemicek did. Uh, Butler went right front burst into the wall and what looked to be really full speed when you watched it live and the full pace uh, replay, but he was breaking. There was some tire smoke coming out there, but he just didn't have time to break. Um, Then the TV captured Butler sitting alone in the back of an ambulance hunched over uh, with his left hand covering his face as the scene was very reminiscent, as I said, of the one with Nemechek that took place moments earlier. Both these drivers would thankfully be okay uh, and would compete at the next truck race at Phoenix International Raceway on April 20th. Uh, Joyce shared that Sauter was okay on the broadcast uh, and was just being transported to a local hospital strictly as a precaution. Uh, the race restarted on lap 163 and Irwin J- Jr. nearly crashed uh, on the, on the restart, because Sprague, he knew he was coming, and Sprague, uh, got on his rear bumper, and almost turned him as he went left to pass him going into turn one, it was quite, quite the save by Irwin Jr., I, you could tell he had some open wheel background with that one, so Sprague took the lead, with three to go, Erwin made a move to Sprague's inside, in turns one and two, and the pair stayed that way, uh, the rest of the lap, Sprague did lead that one, but with two to go, Skinner stuck with Irwin Jr. Uh, in the preferred bottom groove into Turn One, and Irwin recaptured the lead. Uh, Irwin started to pull away, and then there went there was nearly a four-wide battle for second place. All right, this was crazy. This is great racing. Um, so Sprague was up by the wall. Skinner was to his left. Then Mike's Bliss, who was now back on the lead lap after falling two laps down, uh, was to his left. Chuck Bound, who was in the 99 Ra- uh, Jack Roush. Uh, X side forward thought about going 4 wide, almost did, but he instead decided to push Bliss past the Chevrolets. Uh, Bliss made a valiant a charge, but fell short as the young Indianapolis native, Kenny Irwin Jr., won the race, his first career victory in the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series. Brad Daugherty, uh, was a co-owner of Erwin, Kenny Irwin Erwin Jr.'s car and was interviewed during this race. Even said he, uh, said he was in NASCAR for the long haul, and he had actually been in NASCAR before. He had been in NASCAR for some time with some Bush Grand National uh, starts with Robert Presley, um, and of course you know he's still involved in NASCAR today as he's part of owner of J G Daughtery Racing. Um, we would sadly lose Kenny Irwin Jr. in a practice crash. At New Hampshire on July 7th, 2000. Part of the reason I chose this uh, race this week was to honor his memory. Um, as by the time you're listening to this, it will unfortunately be the anniversary of his passing. But also to honor uh, John Nemechek's memory as well. So, uh, racing reference and the YouTube broadcast TNN, thank you uh, for uh, uh, help with this one. I enjoy this one. I was been I've been looking forward to to watching this race. It really was a great race. If you haven't, if you've never watched, this is actually a, we talk about Homestead being a great racetrack right now uh, with its current configuration. But they put on two really good races there on this with the trucks. So, uh, and I should say this too. Later that year in November, Joe Nemechek won the Bush race. Um. I failed to write that down here, but he won that race. Very emotional victory lane, as you can imagine, where he just won the track that took his brother's life eight months prior. So, um, Rob, anything there before we move into what's in the windshield?
1: I don't really have
0: anything. I think
1: it's time to move, in, move on. Uh,
0: all right, well, the NTT IndyCar Series is off until August 8th when the inaugural Big Machine Music City Grand Prix takes place on the streets of Nashville. Uh, Formula 1 has a little bit of a shorter break. They're back on July 18th with the British Grand Prix at the historic Silverstone Circuit. But this weekend, Formula E is back uh, in Brooklyn. Uh, they'll take place in uh, Red Hook, right next to the Brooklyn Cruise Terminal. That They will have races on Saturday, July 10th, and Sunday, July 11th. Uh, Supercars returns after nearly a month off with the Townsville 500 Race 15 will take place Saturday morning at 1.45 a.m., Rob. Wow. <laughs> Race 16 will take place at 12.45 a.m. Sunday morning. Those times are Eastern. Rob, are you going to get up and watch
1: those races? Of course. I, I stay. It. I always stay up to watch Supercars. I Ever since, you know, I did that when I was, like, in high school and when I was young, I would stay up. Because, actually, they had Superview. In, like, 2013, there was a period of time where Superview was free for all international viewers. And I, I would stay up to watch all of it, and that's really how I got hooked, hooked on. And I think it was like 2012, 2013 when they had that Super View was free for everybody, and now it's five bucks on YouTube. And I, I, I literally am still hooked on it. Supercars is always so much fun to watch every week.
0: I would expect nothing less. I can't wait to hear about it because I don't know. I might. I don't know if I'll stay up to watch it or not. I actually, I can't. I can't watch it. But anyways, we'll hear about it from Rob. Let's we'll at least put it that way. Camping World Superstar Racing Experience its turn in the state of wisconsin this saturday slinger speedway the world's fastest quarter mile will host the fifth of six races this season included in the field will be the winner of the slinger nationals race on tuesday july 6th so after you know by the time this this podcast comes out available to you there will already be a 2021 slinger nationals champion we just don't know who it's going to be uh nascar splits its time between atlanta motor speedway knoxville raceway and elko speedway uh the Arco menards Series goes racing on Saturday, July 10th at Elko. The Campy World Truck uh, the Campy World Truck Series will run its inaugural race at Knoxville on Friday, July
1: 9th. I cannot wait for that one myself. It's impossible uh, to like. I'm still excited for it. I am literally like, I am so excited for this race. It's gonna be a good one. I
0: I I got a good feeling about this one. The NASCAR Xfinity Series will make history of its own as for the first time in series history. The field will travel to Atlanta for a second time in a single season. And that race is on Saturday, July 10th. And then on Sunday, the Cup Series races at Atlanta for the second time in the single season for the first time. Since 2010, we're all rejoicing that one, folks. Atlanta, such a great track. Such a great market. Right in the nat- heart of the NASCAR uh, basket. So, that's that. two hours and 11 minutes. Let's see if I can get this conclusion done pretty quick. So, thanks for listening. If you're new... Um, Hope you enjoyed. Hope you come back for more. If you're a returning listener, uh, thanks for coming back. Hope you're in- continuing to enjoy this one as well. Let us know uh, what, how we're doing, what you think. Uh, play along with the feature paint scheme. Can't wait to see what you say about the Chip Ganassi uh, paint scheme. We know there's a lot of great ones out there that we didn't choose. We mentioned a few. Let us know yours. Um and and then also the upshift downshift as well play along with those socials Rob Twitter is at r p e e t e r s three three I'm at roller underscore zero one r o l l e r underscore zero one and the show is at Robin Roller on Twitter Instagram Facebook and search Racing with Robin Roller on YouTube and you can find us that way too if you're a YouTube podcast listener All right so for Rob Peters I'm Josh Roller and this was the Racing with Robin Roller podcast Have a great week of races everybody.